Mez wilderness Mez wilderness sword everywhere. Yeah, I got a I got a little sword. Got a little, it's got some blue tack on it. Well, that's just I to keep it in place, isn't it? That's to know what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's got a little irritating plastic thing attached from where it was obviously hanging off of something. Um, it's actually quite small. I don't. I wouldn't want to be in battle with it. And it look how bendy that is. That is a small bendy sword. That's Are not you going to kill with that? You're not even uh, going to maim anybody. You ain't. I'll tell you what. This cool. is exactly the same. I've got a little axe. It's got it's got skulls on it. Look. Skulls are your victims. The thing is, how small was that person to fit on the brim of that axe? I'd like to meet that person, but fortunately, they're dead because they're you know emblazoned on your axe, and you suit that axe a lot. I think you yeah. should. I don't know why you've never gone as a Viking for like Halloween parties and stuff. Do you reckon? Do you reckon I could like really pull this off? Do you? I reckon so. Totally with the old hat with the horns on it. Hat so much horn. you could just drink some sort of like Swedish beer. Swedish beer, good, I suppose. Bit of mead or something. Bit of mead. I would be a, I would be a quite good lumberjack. I think. Okay, quite lumberjack, good. lumberjack Viking. I, I'm down for that. I'm down for that. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll have to think on that at some point. But yeah. unfortunately, we do have a little while before the next Halloween, so that's that's then. Yeah, maybe New Year's or Christmas or something like that. But who knows? <laughs> uh, who knows? Anyways, anyways. Welcome to 50 Ways Podcast. I think it's episode... Ways. We're on episode 22 right now. That's that's, that's almost really? double, double the digits. Yeah, I thought about it the other day. I was like, definitely on 20. And I realized we did another episode, but... Definitely on 20. We definitely, be. definitely. But, you know, we're back. We're back. We've all been very busy saying all, both of us, but... All the pair of us, yeah. All the pair of us, you know. For everyone who's just listening, I've got the old mustache going on. It is November. It is the November time. I haven't had had, had a clean shave in a long while, probably a year. Was the last time I did that? Yeah. When I sent you those photos, remember it's just literally just the outline of my face. Yeah. Like a right worm. So, um, yes, November. I've raised over, I think, about two hundred pounds so far. So it's been amazing. Thanks everyone who's donated. Like so good. Uh, I'll put the link down below. And I'm just going to double check, but I think Gillette are partnering with Movember that when you donate on a specific day, they will match. They'll either match it or they'll give um, £25 towards it. So if best a man can get. Best a man can get. Gillette donation incentive. So uh, any donations of £25 or more are awarded with a £25 donation from them. So this is going to be planned on the 19th of November, but which would have been tomorrow from the day of film we're doing now friday 19th but they've moved it from friday the 26th of november instead so friday the 26th of november if you do want to donate i'll put the link down below um i'll try and put it on my socials to make sure donate that day um yeah from 9 a.m get that done 25 quid that'd be gracious even just any donation i don't mind at all it's great but even if it's, you can only spare two pence, that is two pence more going towards a good cause. Literally. And, you know, it you know, it goes towards the whole conversation of men's mental health, men's suicide, uh, prostate cancer, all things that I know I've had, you know, been affected by through other people. My friend Louis uh, tragically took his own life New Year's Day. Um, you know, my 
family member, my dad going through prostate cancer. I've had cancer right from my family and a lot of my friends struggling with mental health and me included. So it's really good to have that conversation and just be like checking on your friends and go, Hey, you know, anything you want to talk about or, you know, you seem a bit low buddy. Like what's up? You know, we, we definitely both do that with each other. We always try to make sure to, you know, see what's going on and we can't lie to each other. We're like an old married couple. You know what I mean? Not in the rigid, like, Oh, bleed now, James. I'll just sharp and eat your bloody kebab or whatever. Um, I mean, that's def- that conversation has definitely happened. It's definitely happened. Yeah. On the way back from like, you know, six hour journey where I'm just like, Oh, Merritt, just if you're going to squeak your halloumi flies one more time, mate, I just. Oh, oh. squeaky halloumi. <laughs> but, but that's a good sign of a good halloumi fry. You know what I mean? Oh, it's got to squeak against your teeth. It's got to be like, 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 almost like a rubber band that's been like decompressed and you're like, ah. He knows. He knows. That was. And once more, but um, no, absolutely, it's a, it's an amazing cause. It's a, it's a conversation that everybody needs to take part in because it's easy to go. Oh, I'm a bloke. Oh, I'm all big and oh, emotions are for girls. And it's easy to do that, but that can lead you down a more dangerous path. Um, as you said, you've been affected by. It. I've been affected by it many times. I still am to some extent. Um, but it's uh, it's important to talk. It is important to get involved in that conversation. Um, and yeah, just know you're not alone. Know that you are important and wanted and needed and the world would be a darker place without you. Couldn't have said it better myself. James Merritt, smashing it. He deserves that water, eh? Uh, wordsmith. Wordsmith. Say. What's been going on with you then? Because I realise it's been nearly a month since we did the last episode. Has, you you know, trying to schedule it in. We've had a lot of things, but what's been going on in your world? Uh, so, I... Well, it was, it's been nice to have a bit of a break from gigging. Uh, I'm now at the point where I'm like, come on, make more money, play more guitar, you know, that classic. Um, uh, the... Uh, my metal band, Elusis, that's E-L-E-U-S-I-S. If you want to check us out, Instagram, Facebook. Wire. We'll link it below. We'll link it. Below. And obviously the single on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or whatever you bloody listen to. Um, Tin can on a string? Yeah. Nice. I've been commissioning those recently. <laughs> uh, so we entered um, a local Bristol competition, uh, Underdog put on by we need bands um and i do believe uh yeah synthetica events a guy called john he's really easy to work with he's a great guy um and he, he accepts all bands and we uh we played a show at the thunderbolt which is kind of our uh our signature move now if you like we played the thunderbolt more than anywhere else yeah um, we've played cobblestones and bridgewater that's a great venue um but so we turned up and there were seven other bands underdog competition um, and it was seven bands 20 minutes each to a set 10 minute changeovers that is ambitious for any night let alone one with a ve- where the venue and the stage are the size that they are at the thunderbolt and i mean if you've ever been to the thunderbolt i'm sure you have marv is yeah. uh, it's small um but not to say it isn't mighty. It's a great venue. It's a proper, I'd say it's a proper Bristol Roots venue. Do you know what I mean by that, Marv? So it's like a local venue, local scene, but holding it all up, you know. Yeah. Um, a bit like that fella 
with the earth on his back. What's he called? Uh, Atlas. Atlas, that's the one. Atlas stones, yeah. A bit, bit like that. He's holding the weight of the world, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, we turn up and we had to draw straws, if you like. Basically, they'd written a number from one to seven on pieces of paper, folded them up, put them in a box, shook them all around like... And me and our bass player, Kareth, was there. We were there and uh, represented the band, and one band didn't turn up on time. Um, basically, the lower the number you got was the number in which you could choose where you wanted your set to be. So if you pick first, if you got number one, you, you had first pick of where you were going to be. If you pick seven, you would have last pick. So Kareth picked out one, and did it and it said two and he was like oh sick second pick that's really cool um and the other band the last band didn't turn up they would have had first pick if they'd have turned up on time um which is really unfortunate i'd be gutted if i'd have found that <laughs> um but you know these things happen so because we had the lowest number we got first pick and i said to Kareth, well we want to be on late the later the better however I don't want to headline it. I don't want to end it all, you know? And he was like, yeah, I kind of get that. And everybody else agreed. So we, we decided to go on uh, the band just before the headliners. Because like, my thinking was, there's going to be more people there. We sadly didn't get to sell a lot of tickets and a few people couldn't make it. We understand, you know, that happens. Um, the voting system worked 50% audience votes. So they had like little cards that they wrote the name on, handed them in, counted up, you know, as a vote does. And the other 50% were judges. Now, the reason why they put this in place is to make it not a popularity contest, which I think is a really good idea because it's easy to get. I mean, it's easy to, as soon as the tickets are released, from it will be easy for me to go, I'll buy them all, sell them to other people cheaper. They'll all turn up, vote for us, and yeah. they'll win. But it can't work like that. On top of that, you don't say who you bought the ticket for until you turn up on the night. So, um, all the bands were great. There was so much variety in the music. There was an indie band. Um, there were a couple of punk bands that were really cool. Um, there were a couple of like alternative rock and metal bands that were really cool. Um, I'm so sorry. I can't remember everybody's names. There were a few that stood out to me, and I thought they were great. Um, the one band that stood out to me were actually the band that were on after us. They were a band called Undivided, and they were a two-piece. It was a guitarist and a drummer. Um, the guitarist was 19, the drummer was 17, and they were amazing. They were fantastic. They had bass and rhythm guitar on uh, backing track. They openly said, like, we're looking for a bassist and a guitarist, but they still went out. It's, it's, see, it's so easy. Um, I feel like it's a bit of the work ethic we might have. Like, oh, I can't find a guitarist, I can't find a bassist. Okay, put it on back and track. We'll still do, we'll still do the gig. Yeah. Um, and it's great. They were amazing. That uh, best teenage guitarist I've ever seen is Phil was amazing. He had amazing tone. He was a lovely guy. He was super confident on stage. As soon as they finished, I was like, they were absolutely. Because <laughs> um, they were fantastic, you know? And that's not putting any other bands down. They just really stood out to me. Probably, probably because the guitarist. Well, I'm a guitarist, so I look at guitars. You know, that's just just the way of the world. But 
um, it was really funny. They uh, they were stood chatting, counting votes and stuff. I when I had a smoke, came back in. Well, how 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 do you feel your set was? Um, I think we played really well. I think it was actually one of the best gigs I've played with them. Certainly, nice. a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Very sweaty show. Um, <laughs> now, as you know, Marv, I'm accustomed to wearing like shirts and stuff like that with t-shirts underneath. I don't wear shirts with ellipsis. I don't because it's so hot and sweaty, and I just rather wear a t-shirt. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a really really fun gig. Everyone seemed to be on their game. Um, the only we we got a bit we got a real big chunk of feedback, which was really really cool. It's really nice to be able to read through that and work on things, you know, rather than just yeah, there you go, whatever, see you later. Um, so I thought it was okay. I didn't think we did anything particularly special. We picked four songs which sort of highlight what we do. We. You know, the, the guys spoke a little bit more to the audience, which was great because that was one of the voting criteria, <laughs> audience participation. And it kicked off. You know, the crowd were going mental. And turns out the other guitarist, the guy named Cameron, he uh, his girlfriend was in the crowd and she was watching people scribble out one name as in a band they come to support and write our name. I was like, that's great. That's insane. That's insane. Like, like they've turned up for somebody else and they voted for us. I was like, geez. But I thought we haven't brought enough people. You know, we knew one of the judges. Uh, he engineered, recorded, mixed and mastered our single. So we thought he's got to give an unbiased opinion. He has to. Because uh, we we don't hide that. You know what I mean? I'm not going to hide that and be like, oh, Craig, never heard of him. You know what I mean? It's got to be fair. Completely. Um so yeah, and we kind of stood there waiting, and that was when he went. Uh, so the winner is uh, I, can't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Elusis, and I was like, "What? How is it?" And you I looked, at, I looked, I looked at our basis, and I was like, "How did we? How did we do that? What?" <laughs> but it was really nice. It's really nice to have that sort of reinforced back because we've had a lot of people say that, "Oh, you're really good," but we don't seem to. Um, get any further than you're really good so yeah. it was nice to have that affirmation of yes you've won um which is really cool we won 250 pounds um and we won a slot at the i actually think this is a final sorry i, I believe which is at thecla on the 9th of january nice. be there or be square <laughs> um so yeah and so that money on top of what we already had in the band pot because we've been saving up um just putting all the money we earn into our band pot we, we all self-sustain ourselves so it's not we don't you know normally i'd say take petrol like you know i i had to buy a burger king and 10 pints so give me the money back exactly that's very i mean how can Extreme. you you need like fat and saturated fat and all that alcohol really to like play optimally you know what i'm saying that's it's the source of all my power yeah yeah uh, so I, that, that's very important. You know? <laughs> um, so we put all that, we had, a, we had a good feral whack in the band pot and we just booked three days, same studio where we recorded our single go to go in our drummer record everything that he needs to. And then we're going to do bass guitars and vocals and overdubs and stuff. We're going to do that. 
um, at our singer's house because he um, he did production at uni. And he's like, yeah, I, I've got a good idea of what I want it to sound like. I know what you want it to sound like. <clears throat> and this way we can always dip in and be like, so what about this, what about that? And it's not that we couldn't do it with Cray. Cray's a fantastic engineer. Our, our single sounds amazing. It's really, really good. Um, I don't know. You see a bit more of how, how the sausage is made. Don't you? You know of course, I mean? of course. To take one of your sayings. Wow, um, good sayings, aren't they? So yeah, um, I've been getting better at writing riffs and playing metal, and yeah, I've just been just been doing my thing, really, mate. There's, there's not a huge amount more to go by. I mean, I we played a bit of airsoft the other week. That was a lot of fun. Good laugh. You, you show me the photos. You will love oh, it. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, it's a lot of fun. It's good laugh. Um, see, the winter's coming in now. We've been booked for the tour second half of january yeah uh, which is sweet wouldn't have minded longer but we'll take two weeks absolutely um yeah that's about <laughs> it really i'll be getting a car off someone soon so i can drive around a bit and lovely and yeah i've been doing a bit of prep for this podcast although i didn't have to do a lot because i already knew quite a lot about the band i am going to be talking about oh um, interesting i wonder if any of our uh, long-time listeners you had a guess what uh, artist or band that merit might be doing you know pause it now pause it now <laughs> and write three answers if all of them are wrong I, i'm i've been wrong yeah. Countdown uh, music but, as well. We'll get that going. And then yeah, exactly. So um yeah, so that's that's been my last couple of weeks. Cool. Nice, nice. Marv yourself, tell me about that sweet little jumper and that that little that little name looks it's like still, a name tag. Yeah, it does this hoodie. Yeah, lovely. Great. Need the hoodie. Um and bought a new coat. And now I've left my coat in a church. Nice. So we need to get that sorted. Uh, it's not nice. that I go to church. I rehearse in a church uh, with the choir, which was this yesterday. Oh, nice. So I had to have a name badge. This was like a private networking event. So the choir that I'm in, Sonda Choir, I will link down below all the socials. Below. Or the Spotify Christmas EP that we did last year. Um, we got asked as part of Bristol um, Beacon, which is now what it's called. Um, it's all of these... Um, businesses um were there and what bristol have been doing is they've been putting lyrics to christmas songs around uh bristol buildings so they get projected on there so okay okay we have us we we do hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king there you go glory to the burger king there oh he's done it he's done it love that love that um do you want to be in choir mate could do a little no. bit we could do a burger king themed fast food themed choir i brought pizza hut for you it's in my bag <laughs> that's the clean version if you want the explicit one get a dm to merit um, yeah give me a dm i'll send you that over you recording a couple of over <laughs> overlays i might even do a harmony it would be nice so mm-hmm. on the bristol beacons building they had heart the herald lyrics and they were like wouldn't it be nice if there was a choir that could play that at the event so you know, got all there. I think there's about six of us there. So it was like half capacity of the choir, but it still sounded good. And mm. we played that. And then we did a White Winter Hymnal, which was quite cool. Uh, I think it's a Fleet, it. I think it's a Fleet Foxes tune. I've never heard 
It's good. It's good. Um, that was good. And then we met up with some photographers and videographers that we'd already <clears throat> worked with. And they said, yeah, that's great. So we went outside and then they wanted to record the choir doing Hark the Herald, like below where it actually said it on the building. And then okay. obviously I can't bring my keyboard out there. So I'm just kind of like chilling. They're like, get in, get in, get in. So whatever this is going to be, I think it's going to be in like a documentary this filmmaker's making. You're going to see me giving time to everyone and miming along. So there you go. First nice. performance there, but that was good. It's nice to see everybody. Um, I think that's pretty much it for our choir stuff. And yes, doing a lot of gigging. Um because I do a lot of acoustic like duo stuff in like botanists around uh, England and all that stuff. Uh, Merritt is just, you know, he's getting salty because he never does them because we used to do trios and then they gone the duos because of COVID, this whole COVID thing. Remember COVID? Remember that? What's that? Don't know, mate. Something to do with stuff and computers and that. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> I have been gigging more recently, function band stuff than you have. So it's, you've been having a nice break, which is great to see. Um, and then yeah, preparing for great to see, is it, Marv? Why, why is that? Why is that great to see? Well, I'm, I'll let you make your own judgments up. I'm the one who's mm. you know, mm. I'm the one who's get, going to private networking events. All right, so look at that. See, Nit Ram Nosnabor. Nit what? Nit Ram Nosnabor. That's my name backwards. Anyways, we're getting on there. We're getting on there. <laughs> why have you? Because <laughs> I know these things. Nit Ram Nosnabor. Nit Ram. Nosnibor. 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 Nitram Nosnibor. That's quite go. good. I like that. That is my name backwards. That could, so. be, that could be like a um, Nitram Nosnibor. It that sounds guy. like a Bond villain. It does. It really does. Where are you, Mr. Bond? I am Nitram Nosnibor. <laughs> Nosnibor. Um, uh, I can see the cog in your head turning now for yeah, all these scenarios. Yeah. There, there was a, there was another one that was uh, I was thinking of. Go on. Let's try to think of more. You have a think. I'll continue. I'll continue on it. Carry on. Carry on. So yeah, that was all good. And been doing a lot of those botanist gigs. They've been quite fun to do because I like playing acoustic guitar quite a lot. And um, yeah, recently as well. I, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, but I got diagnosed with dyslexia. In, I think June. So now I've been having a lot of coaching sessions and being given these equip this equipment on my computer to kind of try out and stuff so it's a lot of things to do with like planning organization um and time and efficiency and all these things so again what i thought dyslexia was was just like oh you can't read or write but it's bigger than that so mine one mine isn't really that but i do have things with like re like rereading things and you know as Merritt knows, I do about 15 pages of research, like a whole essay for podcasts. I don't even need yeah. to do it. Um, yeah. So I've been working through that. Uh, this is the first episode where I've done dictate software. So I've done speech to text um, and it was so much quicker. So this should mean in theory that we can get quicker podcasts out of the way if we're, if our timetables match up. It also means in things like Patreon content that, you know, we haven't still done yet. We've got a huge list where we're just like, okay, we know what we want to do. It's just doing it. Yeah. And now knowing that I've got a better routine and I can implement all these tools and techniques I'm learning, it should mean we can be a bit more efficient. So 
I don't know. Thanks for sticking with us all. Thanks for uh, putting up with, you know, because our lives have just basically got really busy um, and we do love doing it. It's a good old natter for a bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, apart from that, again, we got this gig on the 27th where it's like an all day thing. So it's like from like 12 p.m. to midnight. And, I've, you know, I've got like a jazz piano set and then Merritt and myself have got a duo instrumental jazz set to do. And then we got two normal two one hour band sets and then we've you know i've then got to play four songs in the ceremony and then potentially accompany like another choir it's like it's a lot so my usual thought process is i'm gonna stop doing everything else and just do this but i'll do way more than i need to whereas now it's gone down to i've selected the songs i need to do okay i know that i know the days or times i need to do them so i'll do it at that and then don't have to stress so there you go and it's nice to see Merritt just as a little head. That's funny. Slink down there. Slink down. <laughs> with his axe. With his axe. Well, we've got through all of that. Let's actually be... Let's do the episode, shall we? Yeah, go on then. So, this episode, episode 22, we're doing different to the album before. So, yes. you know, you've got your band, you've got your artist, and you love them so dearly. And, you, you know, they do a great album. Maybe it's their fifth one. Maybe it's their 14th one. Maybe it's their 38th one, whatever. And then they do an album afterwards and you go, hang on, am I, is this, this, this right? Is this, what's going on here? And you get so confused. It's the same band, what's going on here? Yeah, exactly. So I think a big reason why we listen to certain bands and follow their careers and call ourselves fans is because they give us a certain sound. And then that sound really is tied to emotions, how you're feeling, um, you know, and sometimes you go to certain bands because you are feeling a certain way. Maybe you go to a certain band or artist because you want to feel a certain way. And there's obviously things in between, you know, that, you know, you listen to a new album, and you go, oh, this is making me feel these. This is making me feel this thing. That I wasn't initially cool. I'm on board. Um, I've only got one song, really. I've got a few songs, but this one is the one that can kind of accompany any emotion I'm feeling and it can give me any emotion that i kind of want to feel and that is avril 14th by fx twin uh it's great. great 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 tune great tune it's just piano bloody great. it's bloody great like gravy it is a great tune um it's just one piano it sounds nice and insular and introspective on the recording but it's in a major key so it sounds happy but it also sounds melancholic it sounds sad all the chord changes are just for some reason those set of chord changes and the way it's structured it's just perfect to me. I can understand it from the first time I heard it. And I remember the first time hearing it on, um, it was a skate video called, it was heroin skateboards. Everything will be all right. And it was the intro music and brilliant. Never look, never look back. I have, um, have you got a song like that, Mez? Or songs? It's hard. Um, because there's loads of tunes that I, I I randomly like and don't really invest in the artist. Mm. Um, you could even go artist if you've got a, a, an artist where you're like, you know, they kind of encapsulate everything I need from them. Because I'd say even the, the pick that you know you're gonna do that band. Oh yeah, I have a feeling Certainly. that like it definitely gives you the kind of overall emotions that you want to feel. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. All right, Queen, yeah. Go on then, go on then. Might as well reveal it to them. Ah, go on then. Go on then. They're never going to get it. Nah. 
never understand. Never understand. Uh, that's kind of the thing with Queen, though. Everybody thinks they're very much one thing, and they're very much not one thing. Um, that's kind of kind of the thing. The thing, thing, the thing, thing, thing. thing. That's a lot of things. Uh, it is I a under- lot. I understood it though. It's a lot of things to understand. It's about. A lot of things. Um, no, it, it is. It is the case. I mean, they're, they're not one thing. There are lots of different amalgamations of you know. To begin with, they were prog rock. Mm. And they had elements of metal and even even stuff like ah, oh, just like like jaunty together pub tunes and stuff like that, you know, and like stuff that wouldn't sound out of place on like one of those electronic organs that are, you know, you put your penny in and it plays the tune, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, a lot of it's very earwormy and a lot of it's very, I mean, the, the thing that always drew me to Queen, I think, was, was the multiple layers of harmonies and not just on the guitars, but like the amount of like close knit harmonies that they had and how it how, how they all made it work you know when they uh, when they were recording bohemian rhapsody for example obviously back in 19 the mid 70s um it um tape and recording wasn't anywhere near to the point of advancement as it is now now Brian May admits that they took a lot of influence from the Beatles when it came to recording mm. and how like they were trying to change things and experiment. But he admitted that being like 10, 15 years on from the Beatles, they had a lot more advantages where the Beatles didn't. Um, in fact, I think I've read quite a few articles where Paul McCartney is talking about uh, recording this or recording that. And in reality, the reason why it sounds the way it does is 50% hard work, 50% luck. Yeah. Um, because of how it, how it, you know, we I think we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, um, oh, yeah. I Love In My Life by the Beatles. And obviously the piano, there, there's a what, what sounds like a harpsichord solo. But in reality, it's George Martin playing that med- melody on a piano. Yeah. And they very speeded it up. To make it sound like a harpsichord and we were talking you you were telling me you were saying like process of very speed in, in that context trying to speed it up but also get it to the right key of the song and then you've also got to think about like the timing of it and everything and how it's going to fit in that gap um and it's quite amazing when you think about it, the options you know um yeah. and obviously that was released way earlier than anything queen released years ago yeah, years. years so ago. it's 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 kind of crazy to think about because Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, he was saying, Brian was saying on like one channel, they'd work out their harmonies. Um, like Freddie took a sheet of paper in the studio with like all the notes written down and the harmonies that worked with those notes, like the individual notes. So he just worked it out. Um, I wouldn't say he was a music theory genius. He was a very, very accomplished pianist. Mm. And for that reason, I mean, you know yourself, that's, that's what guitarists do. That's how I do it all the time. You go, yeah. okay, the notes are here, 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 here. So if I want a third, I've got to make that shape. That's G and that's B. So that's the major third of G is B. And that's how guitarists do it a lot of the time. Um, I've always done it like that. Whenever someone's like, what's the major third of this? I think of the fret. And 
it's not always the best thing in the world, but it's a technique that's got me this far. So, I mean, take from it what you will. But, um, so yeah, Freddie went in with all these, like, things written down in harmonies, and he had Bohemian Rhapsody in his head. And Brian said when they were recording it, they worked out their harmony, and they'd sing it, sing it again, then record it, mm. then record it again, then record So they'd have three takes of this sing singing thing. Um, and he, he made a very good point, actually, that resonated with me. Um, so for every single note, they'd have three voices singing it. Yeah. And they had to, like, change the tape at one point because it was see-through. They had to put everything on a different tape because the amount they were recording over it, you, you could see through it. The original master track for Bohemian Rhapsody now has to be cut in an oven because if they play it without it, it will fall apart. And... <laughs> disintegrate into nothing that is how warm it is it's it's incredible but um yeah so he was he was talking about how they would sing sing again record it record it again record it again so on like one channel they'd have nine vocals for a three-part harmony which is insane that's insane um and in the mid-1970s, that's even more insane doing it now. <laughs> I mean, if I open up Studio One, I can have as many channels as I want. Um, as many channels before my CPU goes, nah, <laughs> and, and has has enough of it, you know? But yeah. the, the possibilities now are endless, whereas back then, they really weren't. So it's incredible to think about. Um but he made a very good point as well, which I didn't think about. Everyone talks about how perfect Queen's harmonies are and how perfect Freddie was. So Brian made uh, the very good point of when you sing um, certain things, it's never going to be exactly the same twice because it just isn't. That's just the way it works. The human voice box is human. That's the point. Um, and he said, but the thing is, you don't want it perfect because... When it's imperfect, it sounds so much bigger. Yeah. And that like flicked a little switch in my head because the amount of times where I've sat and recorded guitar harmonies or on the quiet, the odd vocal harmony, and I've been like, this doesn't sound very like, what's going on here? And I've done take after take after take after take. I got it perfect. And that's the reason why it doesn't sound that big because. I, plus fat, I don't have an enormous array of production skills. But that's part of the reason why, because it's so perfect. You don't want everything to be so... I mean, in some contexts, contexts, yes, you do. But in that particular one, depending on what you're going for. Yeah, so I've just always loved that big Queen Harmony sound. I've yeah. also loved... It's almost like lo-fi. There are certain parts of Brian May's guitar parts that he's recorded separately what he's recording now. And where it's already been through the loop and re-recorded onto another tape, because he's obviously gone, I've done that bit, uh, I'll do that bit now. It's it's like lo-fi. Are yeah. you aware of what I mean? It's like, yeah, like yeah. a lo-fi sort of sound. The amount of guitar squeezed onto one track. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you can pan stuff. But that sound, I mean, the Killer Queen solo, I was obsessed with. From a very young age, I, I in my head I was just like, "How's he? What's he doing there?" Yeah. Because to the human ear, 
Um, I'd be very interested to know what it sounds like not being a musician to have that sort of take on it, you know? But it's, it's strange. The thought of like hearing something and just hearing it for a whole, whole thing rather than what our ears do, which is break it down, break it down, break it down. And your brain goes, oh, it's easy because he's just doing that and that's happening. And there's like chord underneath and that drum beat is compensated for that. And the vocals have changed melody in that bit to work with that chord to give the extension of this A, B, C, D. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes I wish I wasn't a musician at all because everything that just fell out of my mouth probably sounded extremely rehearsed, but it really wasn't. That is how much of, that is how, how big nerds we are. Huge, huge nerds. Huge nerds. You, you more so than me. Me, yeah, I'm much bigger in terms of theory and all that stuff, but... yeah. Yeah. All it is is just a no, it's just learning more words to say how to express your point. So that's oh, valid, really. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yes. Course. You know yeah. what you've kind of said then, in a and I deem it a nice tangential way because it all fits in. Is mm. that that's how much Queen gives you in terms mm. of your, like emotion and feeling that mm. even down to how a guitar part is constructed from them makes yeah. you feel joyful, makes you feel a certain way. It's like you yeah. zoom in that that much to them you know what i mean it's yeah and uh, absolutely and it's kind of strange to think about and it's like an, an odd one <clears throat> that i didn't notice it's gonna sound strange again um every single note freddie sings every single one has a different inflection of character in every single word man sings but to me that was just freddie mercury you know that was just that's how he sung yeah but that's true every single word he sang had a different inflection and it's very odd. It's very strange when you listen back to it now and think about it. But yeah, because I grew up listening to it, um, it's just how it was, you know. Same with that iconic guitar sound. A lot of people hate it. In fact, I believe Liam Gallagher once said it sounds like he's got the guitar lodged up his ass. Um, <laughs> which, you know, that's absolutely fine. Also, bear, bears to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, Someone asked him that for no reason. Just went, what do you think of Queen, Liam? And he probably just went, why are you asking? I don't... <sighs> yeah, I'm going to give you, you know this random mean? answer, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? But um, I love it. I think I think it, um, it's just the warmth of it, you know? But then mm. he can turn it, it extremely grating and thin. So, you know, it's just cool. It's just really cool what he does. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's what I think. There you and... Go. I'm correct, and I'm going to tell you more why shortly. Very shortly. <laughs> James is always correct. I like to hear it. So, yeah. again, just to wrap up this, the short introduction, you know, you go to a band on artists to feel a, something, feel a certain way, don't you? So what yes. happens when you hear something completely different and it's very <laughs> jarring and it can almost, you know, sometimes you accept it. It's all right. It's kind of fresh. It, isn't, it doesn't settle in. And then when you kind of have listened to it a bit more, you get used to the songs and the sounds, you may then start to hear the kind of foundations of where your favorite band or artist are. It kind of sits mm. well. Or you just go, this tastes disgusting. I'm going to vomit it out of my mouth now. I'm off, yeah. Yeah, this is just terrible. I don't know what's going on. In that last case, it can actually, I mean, I, I can't think of an instance. I'm going to have to look through, but... I think it could actually change your view or perception or emotional feeling 
to the songs you actually love by that band because you've gone hmm. the, the, the first thing you think is well how has this band gone from this to this i just don't get it like what are they doing and then you just you yearn like the nostalgia feeling automatically kicks in that makes yeah. sense absolutely so absolutely the, uh, it's never happened to me it's never happened to me on the point of oh i feel different about these other songs now mm-hmm. because it's like we were saying a, saying a little while back about how when you release a tune that is now the public song mm-hmm. that is somebody else's now you've created that you've put it out there and it's now now the public um it's a really interesting way of thinking about it but to me those songs still belong to me um obviously it entirely depends it's entirely contextual as to where where you land if you like you know what i mean anyway 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 anyway, i think shall i start I mean, let's go for it. I got a couple of bits on ACDC, but all I was going to say was, I don't want, I don't want ACDC to change. Keep doing what you're doing. I go to them for that. And all I, all I was, <laughs> all I was also well, going to say was, you get a catch twenty two, right? Because yes. you want your bands to stay the same, but you also want them to change. But don't change too much, but don't stay the same too much. So people mm-hmm. don't, they don't exactly know what they want, and everyone's got a different version of their band. So it's it's almost impossible, and it's something without out of your control, which I've been learning. Hmm. The onion um, technique, you know, the three layers of the onions, you know, the shallots at the top, that's something you can't control. Then the red onion bit, you know, that's something you can control, but it's not direct. And then maybe you've got the white onion, yeah? Which you can control your feelings and emotions. And Merritt knows what I'm talking about, about shallots. You can never control shallots. No. So there you go. That's uncontrollable. That's uncontrollable. So, you know, let's strap ourselves in. I've listened. I've listened to your albums, mess. So, like, you know, we've. It's more about not really just about the album that we're going to call "quote unquote" bad. It's also like regarding the album before and how it kind of matches up. Now, yes. I had a nice listen to both of these albums. Mez is going to uh, going to talk about some more. So, Mez, you get that beard stroke in. And you tell us, boy. Oh, I'll tell you. I'll bloody tell you. He's going to so, tell yeah. you. So, yeah, I, I did Queen. Shock horror. No one saw that coming. Mm-hmm. What will we do? Does Mary like Queen? I don't know. Um, yes. So, there is a very obvious choice with Queen. Now, everything they've sort of released has critically been accepted as overall good has its peaks, has its troughs, comes up and goes down, you know, the, the classic sort of band timeline. Uh, the Queen have always been consistently good right from the beginning, in my eyes anyway. I think, um, they're, I think they're a very consistent band and they also stretch what rock music um, could be and would be and have hmm. just influenced, I mean, they just change music and they're one of those bands that change music, don't they really? Yeah. I, I, I don't think that's too ambitious a claim to say yeah definitely it's um it's on that level certainly because it's it, they, they just are and I mean now they're arguably just as big as they ever were they're enormous again they're very relevant again to a lot of people um they've always been relevant to me because I've just, I grew up around it I got used to hearing it <clears throat> and that's what brings the joy of it you know 
it's it's in me it's no longer a band i discovered it's now almost like a part of the family you know yeah um so anyway i digress in 1980 queen released the game okay now the game was received well it was received well it was a relatively strong album um i wouldn't say it was along the lines of queen 2 or sheer heart attack but this is a different era for queen um play the game i've loved for years the first track excellent track there's a lot of um it's just a lot of queen nuance in in it as well fun fact despite the fact brian may is playing a fender stratocaster in the video he did not record play the game with a fender stratocaster he played recorded it with a red special that is for the guitar nerds out there Dragon Attack, John Deacon's bass solo. In fact, I believe John Deacon once said that is his favourite Queen song. Nice. Um, loves Dragon Attack. Great tune. Very fun. Uh, uh, when I was younger, I used to think it was a bit long, but it's it's kind of weird. It's like they're just letting loose a bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, then you've got one of their biggest ever singles, Another One Bites the Dust. Now, the idea with that, John Deacon wrote that one. It doesn't rip off a million club tune apparently John Deacon I can't remember which song it was it was another song with that bass line and apparently well good times by Sheik right yes I believe it was that is the Nile Rogers Nile Rogers has said that John Deacon was hanging around the studio when they recorded that very interesting very uh, sneaky, that, John. Very nice, John. <laughs> but you know, it's a great tune. It's actually really nice to hear Brian May play some other than rock. Um, I think his parts are very, very uh, appropriate. <clears throat> They're very minimal, but they build much like most songs by bands like Sheik, which is what they're trying to replicate here. Um, you know, from the from the mimicking of the bass in the intro, I bet you heard it playing exactly the same thing in October. And then you've got really cool funk lines. It's really cool. Really, really cool. And it sounds like Queen. Yes. Slightly different, but sounds like Queen. And again, I think this album is really consistent and it sounds exciting. And it just sounds like a band playing, which is great. Yeah, it's great. I mean, what, what one thing to mention, one... Two albums before that, album called News of the World. Now, you may not know it that well. You know a couple of things off it. It's, it's, it opens with We Were Rock You, We Are the Champions. Um, it's got quite a few of my favourite songs on there. And basically, it's very stripped back. Simply because the album before that is A Day at the Races, and the album before that is A Night at the Opera. Now, A Night at the Opera, Bohemian Rhapsody's on. A Day at the Races, you've got things like um, you take my breath away. That's got an enormous vocal intro, which is incredible, and it's mm-hmm. you know the millionaire waltz, which is layer after layer after layer. Somebody to love, you know, proper grandiose big tunes, um, and then um, on news of the world, they kind of went, let's get basic again, yeah, because we've we've done the grandiosity, we've done the big arrangements, you know. The, the God knows how, many, how much this and how much that per track. 
and we've we've done this and we've done that, but let's get back to basics. And that's part of how we are the champions, which of course famous um Freddie was chuffed because he managed to get na 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 in a song being no time for losers. He was well chuffed about that. He snuck that in. Um, we will rock you, Brian May. Completely his idea um, to um, have that, you know, to be able to get the audience to participate in the performance, to be part of it, not just to be there to pay for the band's well-being, you know. Uh, after that, we've got Jazz, which has Don't Stop Me Now, um, again, kind of stripped back tunes, not as grandiose, not as big. So I think they were on a bit of a hit, right? you know, kind of just being simpler with things. And I think yeah. it feeds back in the game because they're simpler tunes, but like you said, it's still Queen. It sounds like a band playing. And something, something they said from very early on was um, basically there might be a million guitar harmonies and vocal harmonies, but they will rock up, rock up their live performances because obviously that's what you do when you're a four-piece. They didn't have, um, in fact, I think some now and again the text would come out and play, excuse me, certain things. So, for example, Brian May's guitar tech comes out in um, Queen Live at Wembley 1986, which is the famous kind of magic tour performance yeah very very good he, he comes out and appears once or twice um freddie sometimes has people playing the piano for him because obviously he's, he's, he's got to do his thing you know what i mean but yeah so it's it's like they've basically gone why don't we just do this for a bit in the studio we've done the grandiose stuff we're in a new zone now but as you said still sounds like queen mm-hmm. um crazy little thing called love Famously, right. Freddie Mercury wrote that in the bath in half an hour. Um, the Elvis tribute song, uh, which it bleeds through enormously. I'm surprised they didn't see any sort of court battle. But then I suppose they, they attributed it. They said, yes, this is inspired by Elvis because Freddie loved Elvis. They all loved Elvis. Yes. Yeah. Of course they did. Um, don't try suicide. A bit of tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, it's, it's, it's all right. Um, Sail Away, Sweet Sister, I've been in love with forever. Um, the initial title of that was... Um, it was it was followed on with the phrase to the sister I never had. Obviously, Brian May on vocals, which you don't hear a lot of. No. You, get, you hear more of as time goes on, on lead vocals. Really cool guitar break. Really, really cool. I love it. Ends quite somber, quite somber end. Yeah. And and then you've got the perfect finisher for that album, which is Save Me. Again, quite somber. Big. Really, really good tune. Amazing songwriting. Um, but yeah, that's a sick album. That is, to me, that's Queen entering the 80s at brute force doing, you know, Queen peak 80s for me, that is the game. Yeah. Um, it's really good stuff, really good stuff. And it's, um, like I said, it bleeds back in it. I feel like the experience of doing that grandiosity, doing that big production, big arrangements, really complicated tunes with different time signatures, different sections and stuff like that, and then stripping it right back. I feel like that, that album's not 
could I say a middle ground? Yeah, I'd say it's a good middle ground because there's still complex songwriting going on, but it's simple in its complexity. Does that make sense? Tell me while I dream. It does make sense. And um, you're right. It's, st- it's still it's still the Queen original sound. I also feel like you could take any of those songs, chuck them in a playlist with earlier album stuff. They all were very cohesive. Um and again, like another one bites the dust is just, it has literal signature rock songs on it, like signature songs yeah. of just anything. Um, and it's also worth to mention, which you probably have in your notes anyway. Um, they seem to be very anti-synthesizer. And this song, this song, this sorry, this album has the first use of a synthesizer. I want to say it's on the first track and it's like, so in your face, um, which is kind of like a precursor to what the we're intro. about to talk about. Yeah. Yes, it's the intro. It's a, there, there's a big swell, a big big swell, um, which I believe, yeah, that is their first use of a synthesizer. We've spoken about Queen before. Um, there's like I think it's Queen Two. They have on the credits like synthesizers played by no one, and there's a track I can't remember exactly the bit, but it's there's a big guitar buildup of of lots of layers of guitar and it sounds like synthesizer which is yeah. really cool but you're correct i think i do believe that is the very first time queen used synths um which you know despite the fact five years previously they were going oh synthesizer Ugh, no um i i see it as not hypocritical but moving with the types mm-hmm. because obviously freddie was uh was gay he was very prominent on the gay scene, especially in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And when he when he visited these clubs, especially in America, the, the, the energy of it really inspired him. Um, and that's, that's part of the reason why Another One Bites the Dust came to light, because he wanted to do a song that encapsulated that club energy. Um, and of course, a lot of the songs at the time in the early 80s heavily synthesized based music heavily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which we we don't need to mention that's that's the <laughs> 80s is absolutely synonymous with that usage um because that, that was the sound that was the technology of the time um so obviously that's what fueled him Obviously, like I said, John Deacon wrote the bass line. I do believe he wrote the lyrics as well for another one by Sadust, but it was very much um, put across as um, Freddie was very, very uh, enthralled by the idea of doing it because of the energy in the clubs. Now, people who have seen the film Bohemian Rhapsody don't believe it all. It has been publicly said and said and said that it is not fact after fact after fact. And that is true. It's not. But it submitted that Fox, the studios that obviously produced uh, that film, uh, they needed to write the story in a particular way, which meant that it was this and that. And if you, Queen did argue a lot. They were four very, um, very different personalities that um, they had their disagreements. However, yeah. the film will have you believe by this point, Queen were on brink of breakup. Now, there were rumours of it. There were rumours of it. Freddie did a solo album. Roger did a solo album. Um, and they hadn't toured for a little while. You know, coming up to this point anyway. And, um, yeah, so there were rumours of it, but 
they were they were still best of mates. They still, you know, the classic thing. What's it like to be in a band? It's like being married, isn't it? It really is to four other people. Exactly, exactly, and that can get grating, especially if you're not a hundred percent like, do I like these guys? You know, just sort of getting into it. Yeah, it's like one minute. It's like, it's like one minute. Uh, I can't wait to see you get in the van, yell some obscenity, burp, fart, do whatever, <laughs> and then light your fag out the window. Other times I'm just there like, oh, Mez, please. And I bet I've, I bet I grate you so much with either, who knows? I'm actually I'm perfect, so I don't know what you got nothing to say against me. So I do everything I do is amazing for him, right? Just remember there, this, listeners. That's the odd thing. Um, <laughs> the first ski season. Um, I wouldn't say you were grating on me, but there were points where I was like, I need to be on my own. Um, <laughs> yes. And, you know, it's kind of a strange one. It's kind of an odd one to think about. Uh, there were never any points where I was like, I, I hate him, I hate him, get him. <laughs> but there were points where I was like, and I've said that, I'm, I'm an extroverted introvert. Uh, some, people, some people energize me, others knacker me out. And I just need that time to be alone. Otherwise, I'm going to get extremely teshy very quickly. It was probably me being like, hey, mate, do you want to practice all these songs 15 times in a row? And you're probably like, I'd rather not. And I'm like, yeah, but we need to, though. But I'd rather not. Yeah, but that's kind of, that's the sacrifice you make, isn't it? It's the compromise you put across. As much as I may not want to do this, A, B, C, D, whatever. Um, sometimes it's got to be done. And sometimes you've got to get on with it. And we were excellent at doing that. We were excellent at cracking on with it, you know. So yes, the game, excellent album. I highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't already heard it. Very varied, very varied. Hey, very um, varied. Sounds like Queen. It is Queen, obviously, at their best in the eighties, I'd say. And there's more to come from the eighties um, in terms of good stuff. So, the album after that, I said to you, do not listen to, because it is a film score. That is Flash Gordon, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. In, in all honesty, it is great. It, it is a little bit... Um, it is a little bit self-indulgent to begin with, uh, because there's a lot of big breaks and, like, you know, it's, it's, it's almost funny, but it's fantastic. It's great. It plays um, a role, doesn't it, in terms of the synthesizer yeah. now? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. That that's was definitely more synth heavy, wasn't it? So it definitely it yes. helped shape the album that we eventually get to. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. Apparently, Queen were extremely excited to do it, like because it's it's all four of them. It wasn't like I don't think they were given a huge amount of brief. I think it was just a case of, can you write songs for this film, please? And they were like, yeah, okay. Um, and it's almost like um, how do I describe it? I see it as almost like a sixties or seventies like superhero TV show like theme. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. proper. Uh, it's proper. I would say it's definitely a million percent dated, um, hugely dated to that time. You know, but I still think it's cool. Then I'm gonna think it's cool. I think Brian Maker released an album of farts, and I'd still think it's cool. Um, so yeah, it's 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 a cool album, but it's not an album that was released for consumption in the same way, to my mind, that everything else was. 
So we we then find the fly in the ointment. Oh, here it comes. Okay, before I say anything else, a lot of people shut this album down immediately. They shut it down. It's the classic thing, isn't it? I always say, oh, this is our mission statement, blah, blah, blah. And you go, and again. And I go, oh, absolutely. Oh, we're the queen and it is good, blah, blah, blah. Kind of the thing, isn't it? Like, everyone shuts this album down. It's terrible, awful, blah, blah, blah. Um, which, is, which is what we what we're here to argue against. So in 1982, Queen released, if you're not aware, Queen released an album called Hot Space. I love the cover for this album. If it's going to work. Go on. There we go. I can see it. Brian May. Brian May is in the bottom right corner. Um, Yeah, it's being a bit rubbish, I think. Yeah, it's kind of like the Letter B album, but very much, very like uh, bright colours and things like that, but. I yeah, like it. Play. I like it too. It it looks like eighties. Yes. 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 Um, I think it's really cool. I think it's uh, a solid idea. I think it's better, better than the album after. That artwork's not very good at all. <laughs> so, essentially, um, <laughs> and to at least half the band hated this, um. They went to Munich uh, in a big, like, grey, depressing building in the early 80s. And um, they basically went to record this album. Now, what they weren't aware of until they got there um, was the building itself is infamous for people throwing themselves off the top of it from killing themselves. Wow. Um, it was a very depressing building. The studio was in the basement of this building. And there were a lot of drugs around, a lot of loose men and women. Um, there were a lot of bad influences, a lot of bad influences. And I think you can hear it in this album because it's not, it's not just like 80s synth pop. It is very, this dark in places. You'd agree with that, wouldn't you, Mark? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's not just, it's not just a, uh, you know, all one emotion all the time. So it's not that no. far. Yeah. In terms of emotional feel, it still has the queen. Like, yeah. 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 It's still, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. We say completely different to the album before. It still sounds like Freddie Mercury. It's just like a complete shift entirely of, of, of songwriting in a lot of ways. And I mean, I've listened to this album quite a few times. Um, when I decided that I wanted to listen to everything they'd ever done, I listened to it then. And I remember thinking back then, uh, my my opinion on first listening, because everybody does it, they're like, oh yeah, crap, I'll never listen to it. I thought, no, I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to give it a chance. And I was listening to it and listening to it. And, this, and I was like, this isn't, this isn't what I'd want, you know? Yeah. This isn't the level that I'd expect from them in terms of like, oh, I don't know. It's just, it's just not what I'd expect to hear from Queen, you know? And, it, it, yeah, I mean, I think I've always said to you, I've always maintained that, you know, I really respect them because they had already morphed into this separate thing from what they were two, three albums ago. And now 
again, they're trying to morph again. They're trying to change again. Part of this inspiration was another one bites the dust. It was that influence of 80s club, disco, tech, sort of, you know, atmosphere, getting the energy in the tracks. And Freddie wanted to do a whole album of it. Now, there is an individual known as Paul Prenter, who was Freddie's personal assistant at this point. He was a bad influence, and he... Um, some of the stuff in the film is correct. Some of it isn't correct. Um, certain things where he's swaying Freddie in certain directions is correct. Uh, there was a point where Freddie, I wouldn't say, was in control. I wouldn't say Paul was in control of Freddie, but Paul was helping him um, move away from decisions he'd make on his own, if you'd like. Yeah. Because uh, you've got to remember, Freddie was an extremely... Um, Vulnerable human being. People don't realize this. He was very vulnerable, very uh, sort of insecure about the way he was, the way he looked. And everybody saw this whole big stage persona and thought, oh, he's arrogant and he's this and he's that. But he's explained in interviews and multiple times that he was never this big, like, yeah, yeah, look at me, I'm, I'm the shit. Do you know what I mean? He was never like that. Um, not in real life, anyway. He had multiple cats that he treated like his children mm. he used to eat breakfast with them and he used to ring uh like someone who was like his housekeeper and he would get the housekeeper to take the phone from the cats so he could speak to the cats that's the kind of dude he was he yeah, yeah. insane i love it though i love it it's to me it's just the right amount of insanity you know what i mean i'd rather yeah. he was talking to his cats than cutting my skin off and wearing it. You know what I mean? Yeah, or like, I don't know, getting their cat food, putting it in his mouth, <clears> eating it up, and then like, you know, yeah, it to yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. In terms of cat-related activity, that kind of pushes <laughs> it for me. Yeah, I'm not, that's not for me, that. But anyway, so, there are a couple of songs worth knowing on this album, certainly. But, I've just realised I've spoken for about 18 hours. Loves it. And, and I haven't yet given any sort of real background like. I have and I have. Yeah, you, you know me. Getting there. You you're creating a lineage to it. You're creating. Yeah, yeah. You, you got to build up to these things, you know. So, do you want me, you want me to jump in, or are you going to keep going? No, I'm going to keep going unless oh, you want to jump go in. On. I'm happy to. You know what? I don't need to. All of my stuff is very summary based. So, Mez, you carry on, okay, boy. You got okay. the sultry tones. <laughs> you know it. So, Hot Space, tenth studio album by Queen. Released 21st of May 1982 by EMI in the UK, Electra in the US. Marking a notable shift in direction from their earlier work, they employed many elephant elements, not elephants. I a lot of elephants were used. A lot of elephants. A not lot of elephants. Animal friendly, yeah, that's the problem. That big thing at the start, you know, <laughs> that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually yeah. was a synthesizer, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ivory keys on the synthesizer. Mm. They employed many elements. I really like that sentence. They employed many elements. No, they didn't just use genres. They employed elements. Like that, like bit, that. Of, bit of alliteration for you there. Disco, funk, rhythm and blues, dance and pop music. Um, this made the album less popular with fans who preferred the traditional rock style they had come to associate with the band, which is absolutely true. It wasn't hugely well accepted, but we will get to that. 
Queen's decision to record a dance-oriented album germinated with the massive success of their 1980 hit, Another One Bites the Dust. So, yes, um, it had one, two, three, four producers, included a Mr. David Bowie, which we will get to. A lot of people don't realise that that song's on this album. Yeah, because they don't because they don't listen to it because they go, well, it's rubbish. Yep. As as exactly. apparently a review said, it was uh, hot shit into the hot space. Yes, yes, I've heard that before. No. I have heard that before. Which you know, uh, so yeah, the queen, the queen, the queen, queen. the queen, that queen. Do you reckon the queen, do you the queen likes queen, or do you the queen has to like queen? <laughs> well, it's, it's in it's in the law. Yeah. You're right, Your Majesty. Yeah, you got like Brian May now. <laughs> why? Why is everybody we do a Northerner? Why not? Sorry, hey. Marcus. Sorry. Nah, uh, he's all right. I'll give him a little kiss. Ah, uh, it's fair enough. Anyway, you're employing <laughs> these sounds. Queen are yeah. kicking it. They're loving it. Right. Let's hear it. So something I forgot to mention was the first number one album in the US for Queen was The Game. Um, a lot of accomplishments on that record as well. That's what makes it so important, too. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, he says. Um, and Hot Space served as a reminder that once you make it to the top, there's nowhere to go but down. I struggle a little bit with that sentence. I kind of get it. I kind of understand. But, you know, whatever. We, we There is a rise, full and rise of Queen and et cetera, et cetera. They were back in record stores before the end of 1980. Remember this? So the game was released in 1980. So was the Flash Gordon soundtrack. Um, Same year. But yeah, anyway, two years later, hot space. So as Brian may admitted, the record's somewhat protracted gestation had a lot to do with the creative dynamic in the band at the We moved out to Munich to isolate ourselves from normal life so we could focus on the music. Later said, we all ended up in a place that was really unhealthy, a difficult period. We weren't getting along. We all had different agendas. It was a difficult time for me personally. Um, So you you can kind of hear that, you know, as as we've said, it, it is a bit dark in places. There is a change in emotion, but then it's still got that queen, personality about it uh there are two things about this album that i love and that is let's see if james can pronounce it shall we go on boy last palabras de amor i love that tune i think it's wonderful i do too and of course under pressure with david bowie uh really cool story behind that super cool story behind that um they basically met up for a bit of lunch or something and they were talking and they decided after a few drinks to go back to the studio and have a jam. And basically Brian said openly, he was like, you know, a few people were argued down with their ideas. He said, I allow his own words were I allowed myself to be argued down, um, which is unusual for me. And I was like, all right, Brian, don't get all, Ah, shut up. What's the badger saying? Yeah, come on, go and fight the foxes. With them. So, yeah, they uh, basically, <laughs> this is really funny. They uh, they were jamming for a bit, and then John Deacon 
came up with din 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 din. So obviously the main bass riff from Under Pressure. From Ice Ice and, Baby, of course. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what he does. He rips people off all the time. Yeah, that's what he does. That's what he does. Disgusting. Yeah, Disgusting. Um. So yeah, and then they all went for pizza, and they came back, and John Deacon forgot it. Nice. Don't remember it. Eventually, he did remember it, and they kind of put it together. David Bowie was really insistent about all the finger clicks and the claps. Really insistent. He was like, no, 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 it's got to happen. And they kind of decided to take both the vocalists away from the process, Freddie and David, and they put them in separate rooms to record separate things. What they didn't account for was opening Freddie's... um, Freddie coming out of his vocal booth to find David Bowie leaning up against it, listening to what he was doing. Um, But the uh, product was under pressure, which I think is one of the best songs they've ever been involved with. One of of the best Queen songs, probably one of my favourite Queen songs. It's amazing. It is fantastic. It's, It's Queen, but it's not. You know, there's that element there. You can hear Brian May held back because he's just doing guitar bits. That's all he's doing. He's not making himself very well known in that no. in that way. I think it's super cool. I think it's really, really cool. The parts he came up with really work. Um, yeah, it's great. And it also features Freddie's highest ever sung note on record. Nice. Which is just after the... Just before the... What do you want to call it? Is it no, when, we, it's when is it it's it's when Bowie's singing love, 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 isn't it? And Freddie's yeah. just going higher and higher and higher. Yeah, because he sings he sings high and then he holds it there, and you're like, wow, that's high, and then he sings even mm-hmm. higher. Um for a guy that spent most of his singing, in fact, all of his vocal career out of his comfort. Um, because he was um Oh, Marv, give me the baritone range. He wasn't a baritone. I think he was a baritone. alto. But he spent most of his time in alto range. Yeah. Something like that. Um, And he was fine with it. He was absolutely fine with it. So for someone to be able to go that high is is insane. It's a very high note. And he holds it. That's incredible. So yeah, Hot Space wasn't very well received and for understandable reasons. As even I've said, it's not what I came to expect from Queen. Um, as difficult as it may have been to come to a creative consensus, they still managed to move forward, playing with their sound and establishing a version of Queen that broke with their hit albums of the past. With Hot Space, the group played around with synths and dance beats, relying on spare arrangements and brass flourishes to get the songs across instead of stacked sonics that helped make them worldwide superstars. So I agree with that. Instead of using their traditional technique of let's be a band, they 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 used um, much to Roger Taylor's distaste. They used things like drum loops and yeah. synthesizers. And he hated it. He, he was... Even now, he still says things like, whose idea was that? <laughs> Jesus. Um, but Roger's very, very vocal. He's a very, very driven vocal individual, so I can't imagine what they had to do to get him to do it. Um, 
But he was, I think there's a, I read another uh, report or something a long time ago where Roger was basically talking about that album and he was like, yeah, I played one bar and they went, yep. <laughs> and they just looped it. He was, he, it's, it, he was talking in this interview like he um, basically w- was still in disbelief all these years on about it, you know? Um so it clearly like upset him quite a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, so while it marks a departure, it wasn't entirely out of character. Queen's sound had never been static. I like that. And I agree with that. They were always eclectic enough to make room for all sorts of experiments, you know? And this, the way I view this album, is the same kind of way. It's still an experiment. Even with, even with under pressure with Bowie, Bowie, you know? Um, uh, there's a change to it, change to the sound, and they still play under pressure now, believe it or not. It's really, really cool that they still do. So, yeah, they embraced that sort of sound more fully with Hot Space, but the evolution of it was was a bit too far for loads of fans and critics. Like you said, someone said it was hot shit or something. Hot chip. Hot chip. Um, Lukewarm reviews, it it was a commercial disappointment. It peaked at number four in the UK, didn't break the top 20 in the US at all. Um, Body Language, the first release, was a medium, wasn't a very big hit um, in either the US or the UK. And the other singles didn't really build on it or match the momentum of it, you know? So it's kind of kind of a strange one it's an odd one because they're already a big band i kind of see it i don't know if this is going to make sense but i kind of see it in the same way that i see saint anger yeah you know they're trying something different they're trying something they've never done before and they're still trying to make sense of the situation they're in as well as write record produce churn out an album um i watched some kind of monster and I feel like St. Anger is worth a mention, not in that it's drastically different sounding, but it, but it is. It is different sounding to what they produced before. But it's a similar context, isn't it? They're both trying to deal with uh, changes for whatever reason to their, to their normal sort of lineup or situation, how they're trying to, you know. And it's... Um, yeah, it's not as bad as people give it first taste on, is it, either of them, I don't think, to be honest with you. No, and I actually think, now now thinking about it, there's a lot of parallels. So you've got things like Metallica were jamming for the first time versus yes. Queen being like, we're just going to loop and layer and do these things like that, not playing as a band. You've got an outside influencer. So Phil Toll, the therapist in Metallica versus... Yep. Freddie's assistant who was yep. very it was like from what I read to the point of you know um he was getting Freddie to you know swear to press agents and swear to um what am I trying to say music producers and labels and things like that, management um so dealing with that some members of the band just arguing with other people and arguing with other members and not liking a certain direction not liking this Kurt Hammett not not liking the fact there's no solos. Roger yep. Taylor not liking the fact that he's got to play 
He plays one bar and that's it. So yeah. again, all these external factors, you've got to deal with that while trying to make music. Of course, that's going to hamper it. Um, the old adage of like, well, you know, if you've already got a song there, it should always shine through. Um, but to go back to hot space, it's like, I think the reason why people think under pressure is not on that album for me, it's tacked onto the end and yeah. it doesn't fit at all. Nope. Any of the other, any of the record, I would say um, it's kind of like another one bites of dust. Cause it's just bass driven, like bass led, but also with body language being the first single, that's such a huge departure. It really is yeah. that, that song to me, if you, if you don't want to listen to hot space, I don't, you know, you don't have to, um, it's really not that long either. It's about 43 minutes. It's all right. Yeah, it's less um, than an hour. Yeah. Just listen to body language. And if you're like, this is terrible, then I think I think in your mind you've got over the worst of it. I yes. think it gets better from that. And in in my head, I would say action this day, which is the fifth song. One, two, three, four, yeah. From yeah. track from track five all the way down, you do actually start to you start to get this. The, the queen sound that you've kind of heard before coming back, I think because yeah. maybe the guitar is more prominent. Um, there might be some solos, like there's the real drums, like it does start to come back. So I can see people listening to this, even just side A, you know, back in the Dizzy, um, oh, Dizzy, whatever. Um, first, couple, yeah, the first four tracks, right? They're, that's really going to test your patience with Queen. You're either going to go, nah, they've lost it. I, I ain't doing this anymore. Screw that. But you do miss out on, you know, the last half. I think the last half is stronger is what I'm trying to say. Mez, yeah. thoughts please as the queen aficionado. I, f- I firmly agree. Yeah, the second half, it, it, it's, uh, the classic is always, oh, it's, a bare, it's the bare bones of this. I, it, I think there's more than the bare bones there of a, of a decent second half of a queen album. Certainly. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. Under pressure is definitely tacked onto the end. Um, and again, last palabras de amor, words of love, that again doesn't really fit for me in that album. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's what they did, they put it together. They, you know, there was um, Brian and Freddie often did this. I think it is the works, it should be the works. Is it the works? Yeah, it is the works. So the album after released two years after the Which works, was called the works. Indeed, that has on it a song called Is This the World We Created, which is a lovely tune, really, really nice. Um, not very long at all. It is just acoustic guitar, being Brian May and Freddie Mercury singing. And it's uh, very airy, very sort of um, open, uh, washy's the wrong word. But it's, um, it's just a lovely little tune. And the reason why it happened, it's because they kind of took a look at at the works, which has got Radio Gaga, Tear It Up, I Want to Break Free, Hammer to Fall, you know, all of these big rock tunes. Big signature Queen songs. Big, big Queen tunes. And they kind of went, but there's a lot of rock, but we haven't really got a lot of soft things going on here. So they kind of went, okay, well, why don't we go in, us two, just see what we come up with? And they wrote it in like 10 minutes. And it's lovely. It's a wonderful tune. It's just the world we created. And I think that's kind of a similar deal with the last Palabras de Amor, where it's just like, this is a nice little tune. 
let's chuck it on the album, see what happens. And I agree with you. Like I said, the second half of it makes more sense as a Queen record for a start. And it is stronger. It is, it is stronger. I don't know. Hot Space is certainly never going to be my favourite Queen album, but it's certainly never going to be one where if we're on a long road trip and someone goes, all I've got is Hot Space, I'm not going to vomit. You know, it's, 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 it's acceptable enough in my mind. But then I'm an enormous Queen fan. Some people might, I say might, some people hear it and go, what is that? Get that gone. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's again, it's contextual, isn't it? It's, it's that whole thing of saying anger. It's that whole thing of Iron Maiden in the 90s. It's that whole thing of let it be. Look at the context of it. Look at the reasons why these artists may or may not be producing the best thing since sliced bread. Because mm-hmm. two years after that, after Hot Space, you've got, as I said, you've got The Works, which has some amazing tunes on it. Absolute, what what you would um, basically it, it in the 70s they built up and helped for the start of stadium rock and then in the mid 80s they wrote a load of stadium rock bangers that absolutely kick off in that context yep um, like you know along with bands like Zeppelin putting together big stadium tours ridiculous ridiculous numbers at gigs and stuff and you know queen were a little bit later to the, to the guild with that but there is still an element of Im- influential on that and for that reason they're still selling out stadiums to this day with um, two original members that's how good two their songs are of the four original members thank yeah. you Mark. thank you for interjecting that yeah and that's that this is an a this is an attest a testament to um to why they're it may potentially even bigger now than they ever were because yeah, they have that lull with hot space, but then you've got their mad bangers. They wrote it's, it. This is um, part of the reason why I put them akin to the Beatles in a lot of ways. I wouldn't say they were better than the Beatles or maybe not even nearly as good. Um, but the, when you think of the most successful bands to ever exist, or even artists, people like Phil Collins as well, he can be mentioned in that. Think about the amount of songs these artists wrote that were absolute stone-cold bangers. And that is how you become as successful as you are. Because Queen, you know, yeah, like I said, Hot Space, not amazing. And then you've got Kind of Magic, which has got One Vision. This was 1986. One Vision was the first song ever to be written by all four members of Queen. In 1986, that's insane. Um, a kind of magic, friends will be friends. Who wants to live forever? Princes of the universe, and uh, you, you know, and then then they're morphing again. It's it, this is a band that's always changing, and I think that's why I don't listen to them every single day on on the hour, every hour, you know. But whenever I go back to them, I'm never bored because yeah. they've got so many different phases, and I'm sure that. This is the way you feel about the Beatles, because it's, it's exactly the same. Uh, anyone who says, I hate the Beatles, hasn't properly listened to them, because there's so many iterations and genres and sounds that they experimented with. How can you say you hate them? There's got to be something yeah. that you'll listen to and go, what a great tune. You know? Um, also, so, yeah. to quickly mention, yeah. 
uh, which you've which you've pointed out by listing these songs it's almost like every queen album has at least one and then definitely in regard to hot space definitely at least one signature queen song and or signature rock song of all time it's almost like every single album does that and then you got a view you know how do you view uh, a band or artist discography do you go through every single album do you round up the best songs and go right this is the best era of what we've got you completely devoid any of the kind of time the the chronology of it you just go right this is all the best of it but it's like from queen one to made in heaven is over two decades it's like 25 years almost and that's not with all the original members even alive by the time it came out and all these things right so yeah there's so much that has has gone on that point that you kind of think well okay yeah look at them album by album but it's like yeah okay hot space was a blip it's probably one of their weaker works if not their weakest work yeah but you don't have to view it as like, that's the be all and end all. That's when it started going bad. This is when it is. But this is more of a personal revelation, maybe for me of like, you know, how do you view your albums? Why should you view them that way? You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How do you, how do you, how do you reflect or project and or project whatever onto, onto the artist you enjoy? How do you categorize it? How do you push it around? And, and it even should you categorize it, you know? Mm. Um, I've, I've known quite a few people who have to subcategorize every single music genre ever. And What's that, the point? What's the point? Uh, it, it's a waste of time. Yeah. Why not just say, and, and when I presented that argument, it's a waste of bloody time, who cares? They replied with, well, how am I going to know what a band sounds like? And that's when I said, well, that's, like I did it with your example of Lamb of God. Lamb of yeah. God are a modern-ish groove metal band that are basically a mix of Pantera and Slayer. And that's exactly what they are. Um, and they didn't really have much to say about that, but I was just like, you, you don't need to categorize and classify and blah, 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 everything. About music, and music can get very obsessive, like with anything. We all know these things, but yeah, it's it's yeah. I like I like the idea that you it it made you look on how you're maybe categorizing certain albums and stuff like that, and made you think a bit like, should I be doing it this way? Should I be doing it at all? Should yeah. I be trying it that way? Maybe a different. You know, it's cool that that one album released four nearly forty years ago has made you take a look and go, oh, okay. This is yeah. kind of interesting to think about, you know? Just because hmm. imagine if you were like, right, I only listened up to, I only listened to Queen up to um, the game, which is the one there before Hot Space. I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm getting there. And then you go, don't even listen to Hot Space. If you're, you're talking about this to somebody else and be like, that's when they started going down. And, you know, all the classics weren't there. And it's like, you, that would, that would make someone go, well, Queen are only good up until 1980. Other than that, it's all bad. I haven't listened to any of that because I've been told that that one album was bad. I don't want to listen to bad Queen. I only listen to good Queen. And then you get all these things. So you miss out on certain areas. You miss out on certain songs. Yeah. Miss out on, because again, you know, you get, you then build up your musical palette. So you might listen to way more disco or 
funk or R&B orientated music that's, you know, other artists, then suddenly you might hear Hot Space or say 80s Queen. You might go, oh, I actually like this now because my my diet, my musical diet has changed. So it's just maybe the album is just not for you at that point. And you can't help if you don't like something, but you can help if you yeah. just hate something and go, I don't like it. Why not? Because I don't. It's like... Okay. Great. Yeah, and exactly. This is like like you said, mission yeah. statements are just there like let's just dis- dispel these myths because we've all yeah. done it ourselves. And you know, I see the impact now that we you know we go for this and go, let's listen to it, let's go for it. You know? Yeah, absolutely, mate. I mean, the uh that's that's kind of the point, isn't it? The where where you hear of the oh, I've never listened to that. It, you're robbing yourself. You you are robbing yourself. The only person who's going to be affected by that is you. Literally. Do you really think, I mean, when Metallica did all that Napster stuff back in the early noughties, there were people outside the courts burning CDs, kicking CDs to bits. But I bet you any money, those are the same people posting on Facebook about how Spotify are not paying artists a proper wage. This is the point. This is exactly the point. And... It's kind of like, oh, I'm going to burn it. I'm going to do it. Do you really think that the artists are going to go, oh, oh, oh no, sorry, I, I, I'll stop doing that. I'm Napster, do what you want. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you don't like something, you don't like something, fine, absolutely. But pushing that on someone else sucks. So you're robbing people. You're robbing yourself. You're robbing other people. Um, I never say that to you unless it is particularly bad for one way one way or another, because I know you'll go, shouldn't listen to that. Oh, okay. And then you'll go and listen to it. Because in fact, if I wanted you to listen to something, I'd go, Marv, never touch that, mate. Don't go near it. You'll, yeah, you'll want to, nah. Led Zeppelin 4, nah, terrible, mate. Oh, disgusting. Awful, 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 awful. Sheer heart attack, queen, terrible. I'll tell you what you should do, mate. You should go on a, Get your axe that you got in your hand right now. And that's what you should do. Threaten people and go, oi, if you don't listen to this album right now, I need a new skull for this axe, all right? <laughs> Good to be fair. I'll tell you what. In fact, if everybody else is on the same thought process as you, what everyone should definitely not do is go and listen to this song called Surrender by this band called Elusis. It's terrible. You're awful. Hate. Yeah. Don't go near it. Don't go near it. I love reverse psychology. Idiots, Idiots, isn't it? There you go. Good segues, isn't it? So if you like Queen, you're going to love that. If you don't like Queen and you just listen to all of that, I mean, I don't really care. Not not my problem. Not my problem. You're learning something. but Yeah, um, absolutely. Exactly. One little blip in their whole career. Oh, he's so emotional. So emotional about Queen. One little blip in their career. And to be honest... I mean, they still had one massive song on that. So it almost redeems the whole thing. Um, yeah. And the yeah. experiments they did there, you know, went on to the 80s. They just got caught up by disco as well. You know what I'm saying? I respect it. I respect it. And, you know, it it, it, it feeds back into positive things. So like Radio Gaga, <laughs> that is heavily synth-based. Yeah. Um, and it's cool. It's really cool. It really works. And so that's almost like Queen went, okay, we know how to use synths now. Maybe we should use them how Queen would use them rather than how another band would use them. And I really like that. I'm really into that, how they 
they didn't just do that album and go, oh, synths, never again, and blame the synthesizers for the bad uh, reception for Hot Space. Yeah. They used the synths. They did their mistake. They stood by the mistake. It didn't do very well. And then the album after, amazing, fantastic, fantastic. I want... I was going to say a lot more, but I think if I carried on, this would be a four-hour episode of Mets talking about Queen, and I can do that at any time of the day or night. Well, we so. could we could try and set up some sort of Patreon thing. Then we just do album by album, song by song. It could be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm but I, yeah. Ult- ultimately, ultimately, I would, just, I would just like to say, if you're a Queen fan, go and listen to it. Give it a chance. If you're not a Queen fan. Become a Queen fan and then go and listen to it and get a chance because it's nowhere near as terrible as everyone makes it. Uh, which is, uh, as already mentioned, our mission statement. And this is a good opportunity to talk about Patreon and other things. I think more of things, in, including mugs with our mugs on. Exactly, and- exactly. We've had a couple more sales, haven't we? Because we're thriving yeah, businessmen. Um, <laughs> our good friends over at Sweet Chili Mayor. And yeah, rockers. Rockers, they've been, love them. They've been sipping on our old uh, lunch of meds, coffee with meds mugs. Oh, lunch is weighs fifty weight. Well, I just put lunch in there as well. You know, coffee yeah, and lunch, a little bit of cake, whatever. So they've been loving that. They've been working. Yes. They haven't broke. You know, their mugs they just work. All those things. We got teas. We got hoodies. Got water bottles. I was looking at aprons the other day. You know what I mean? We could just expand aprons, aprons with our big faces on it. Imagine that. That is an interesting concept. Exactly. And if you want to get involved in all that action, we've got an Etsy store with all our little merch in there. We've also got Patreon. So you see this episode we're talking about now. You can see it early before all the normies see it on YouTube. The normies. That, right? We don't we, care about them. We don't care about them. We care about the paying members. Paying. Jack, Give me your money. Henry, Give us your money. Marcus. O'Sheen. Turkey. You know, Walton, you know, anybody else, Merritt, that I've missed? I mean, unfortunately, you're better with these things than I am. There you go, see? So if you are a patron, we've offended you. I mean, just keep paying. Keep paying and we'll get better, right? Give us your money, because my attitude is the same as Lars Ulrich's when he was battling Napster. Do what you will, and I'm going to sit here and enjoy myself, so it's not a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, on a serious note, we really appreciate the support. It's very overwhelming to still see people listening, see Mm -hmm. people ordering things. It's very cool. But a year and a half ago, we went, here, Mez, wouldn't it be cool if we put together like this weird thing where we had a conversation for a couple of hours and see what happens? And we've, we've got people paying for the privilege of getting extra things on top of what people would just get anyway. And it's very, very cool. It's very humbling. Yeah, and it is lovely. It is lovely of people to be involved with. So, if we have missed your name, message either one of us a big old voice note where you're going to shout at us, and we we expect that to happen. Um, but well, oh, I'll I'll slap you or you slap me depending on what's going on. But it'd be it'd be me because I forgot the names. You know what I mean? Plus both, both might happen. Plus the money that you donate to us or the money that you pledge to us does not go towards Merritt's axe that he's been wielding this whole episode. He bought that with his own money. He probably didn't even buy it. I have no idea where this axe has come from, but you know, you know what? go on. <laughs> I don't either. It's, it's just, it just turned up, which didn't really help the point, but the Patreon money is not going towards that. Trust me. Don't worry about no, it. Do no, not, do the, not, the, do not. Right. It, don't think about it. 
In fact, uh, I think the only thing the Patreon money is going towards is... Is what? Huh? What? No, no, no. No, you don't even know. Drugs. 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 Yeah. One Um, drug. It's gone towards (laughs) one drug. We'll buy one whole drug for the whole year. (laughs) But anyways, Everything. quickly, I'm gonna I'm gonna just interrupt Merritt all the time because I love doing that. So three pounds a month. That's all it needs. You get the episodes early. We're gonna do Patreon exclusive now that I can actually do routines and planning and things like that, right? And we can sort things out. We've got a one coming up with actual with a Patreon uh member himself, Oshin. We're gonna talk about box sets. That's gonna be good. So we're we're, we're talking now to Oshin about what Oshin's about to do. <laughs> So we're going to talk about box sets, deluxe editions, you know, what's the difference, what's the most absurd ones, what have we got, all these things. Matt will do some ones on his seven and eight string guitars, I reckon. You got an eight string guitar or I just made that up? No, I've got a seven string. Okay, so we'll no put, eight string. Okay, buy Merritt an eight string and we'll do it, all right? That's, we're going to have to blackmail the, the patrons, I think, now. No one buy me an eight string. I do buy him an eight string. He does. It'd be great. Seven, seven is more than enough. <laughs> Um, as I learn every single day, he does. Anyway, I'm going to get onto mine. So I want you to try. Here we defend. go. I want you to try and defend this one, boy. So here we go. This is by a band called Lincoln Park. Everyone knows who Lincoln Park is. Is that conjecture? Yes. Lincoln Park are a big deal. Um, I've decided to do one more light by Lincoln Park. This was released May 19th, 2017. Fairly recent. Now, Lincoln Park were to me. As like, I don't know, a, a 10 to 12 year old kid. Um, they're a gateway into what I would describe as like proper music in the sense that they were the first artists in my infancy of buying albums um, and becoming like an avid music collector, especially with listening to an album all the way through. That was probably the first instance of me buying an album because I wanted to listen to it all the way through, not just oh, look, Eiffel 65 did Blue and Move Your Body. I'll buy the album because that's the only way I can get it rather than getting two singles. Um, I was at the right age as well. You know, this is 2000. We're talking about Hybrid Theory, their first album, an absolutely undeniable smasher of an album. One of the, I think the biggest selling album of the 2000s as well, like huge, huge deal. Um, and if you want to know what new metal sounds like, go listen to that album. That is like peak in terms of the... I'd say the, not the commercial side, but like the, the, if you have good pop hooks and good songs in there, consistent all the way through. Um, very, very, very good. Um, yes, it meant that all my friends would listen to this album. So Jamie, I was going to Jamie's house and Dan's house and boom boxes all the way through on CD, smashing the hell out of it. Great, great. It's just one of those albums. Um, and again, I played video games a lot, Tony Hawk's Pro Skate, all this stuff. And you have a CD player next to you. Mary's did the same. And Hybrid Theory was always there straight away through. So every time I hear these songs, I just can just think of, you know, the Canada level on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 or just all of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, even though they had cracking soundtracks. Sometimes that it was almost like, I mean, you could probably do it now. This is me sounding really old, but like you can probably make playlists on when you're playing video games in the game itself now. Is that a thing you can do, Mess? Do you know? Say again. Can you make playlists of music you want to hear in games? So, like, you could listen to music in your headphones that's not on the game, for instance. Well, there is the option to change um, 
Oh, Mez, come on, kid. You get radio stations on a lot of games these days, okay. and a lot, a lot of the time. I mean, uh, there's a driving game called Forza, Forza Four. Um, Forza Four. Forza Four. What's Forza Four for then? Forza Four is for the four and the things and the four. Um, the uh, you the, you get like a playlist on that. You can zero out songs and get rid of them, turn them down, whatever. It's okay. kind of strange because you're like, I'm just driving about and now I can do all this and uh very too much, weird too much for me you know give it's, me a it's CD cool. player <laughs> it's Go cool that they, it's cool that you can do it but also I bought the game to play the game you know very true very true and all of our yeah. listeners have just lost the game so ah, yeah. you know you know <laughs> so unlike my other friends and other people um that are around this time that like lincoln park i didn't bother listening further because i got into skateboarding all i wanted to do was watch skate videos and go skateboarding which meant that a lot of the songs on these skate videos that the skater would pick for their part would be a lot of older music um, Lincoln Park was very seldom used. I think Day One Song used him once in one of his Decca parts. So there you go. If you know Day One Song, very good Instagrammer. Um, be very impressive tricks. Merritt would like that stuff. That's what I'm saying. It's like a non skate he'd like that stuff. So yeah, completely just went off the radar with um, Lincoln Park. They just kind of the same as for like, you know, all the bullet for my Valentine Metal era, that thing completely missed the boat on that. Like 2000 three to 2009 anything new coming out nope pop was like drinking cyanide like i ain't doing that um hip-hop like 90s hip-hop was like as, as new as i got maybe early noughties that was about it um so i you know caught up with some of the singles of lincoln park it was kind of there and you know they were inescapable in that effect but because post grunge was declining in the 2000s that's how lincoln park kind of declined with it in my head i'd kind of moved on to older stuff i'd gone backwards um they were obviously selling like hotcakes and releasing classic songs so really it was when i got to uni uh our good old friend doiler good old friend of the podcast um you know we, we before we'd write songs and chill out all day we'd just go on youtube and go on spotify and he'd show me stuff so he showed me this performance at lincoln park this big festival and he's like look how good chester's singing is here like he fluffed this note here but like look how good this bit is and like we just overanalyze things and it was great. So I was like, you know what, I'll let's see what they're up to. And yeah, it was just like interesting to catch up on. Um, but I'll do a quick recap of their things of their whole discography. So first two Lincoln Park albums, we've got Hybrid Theory, Meet Europe, which is 2003, very much carbon copies of each other, new metal, rapping, um, guitars were like in a drop D kind of style. They were loud, they were distorted. You've got shouting and screaming from Chester Bennett and nice singing as well in the choruses. You got samples, you know, hits in the end, one step closer, crawling, numb, breaking the habit, paper cut like bangers. They're all bangers. Uh, then you had 2007's Minutes to Midnight, which is a, definitely more of like a hard rock album. They kind of went into like a rock band territory, significantly less rapping. Um, they managed to kind of break free from new metal, which was a, a good thing because that just it was dead by that point. Um, and they hadn't. They kept themselves relevant and hadn't compromised their artistic integrity and their sounds. Also very hard to do. 2010's A Thousand Suns was definitely there. Like they showcase some electronic elements. It's quite experimental. It flows as an album. Um, 
it definitely divided some opinion, but it was still very, very good. Um, and it kind of doubled down on it, which was, which was great on their, you know, this natural progression within their sound. Living Things 2012, again, electronic and rock kind of fused together. Um, everything you'd heard up to this point kind of put into one album. Um, very solid as well. All the old diehards are still going to be, you know, happy with this. Maybe with A Thousand Suns, they might be a bit like, not enough rock in there, but hey, they're doing their thing. Then we get to 2014's Hunting Pie. So this is the album before One More Light. Now, I had never listened to this album all the way through um, until probably a week ago. And just out of the gate, just a screaming war cry and just loud rock guitars and heaviness that's kind of like in the vein of like super unknown era of Soundgarden. Um, just amazing. I don't think they sounded this heavy at all. I think this is the heaviest they've ever sounded. Um, so again, if you like heavy music, I would say this is a good listen um, for sure. I think it still sounds recent as well in my mind, even though it's seven years old. Um, you know, within the mainstream popular place they sit in, it seems to have made like a risky and arty kind of rock album, avant-garde noise tracks like the summoning punk songs like war, things like that. Um, it's not even that it's like a return to form either. You know, the unique, the, the uniqueness and interestingness of the previous albums. They go interestingness, new word. Um, it's just a good fit for Linkin Park. They, they just, they just fit well like that. Right. Um, good heavy rock songs with electronic balance. It's all kind of melded together. Um, and you get legendary rapper Rakim on a track can never go wrong. So this is where the divisiveness comes in. So you get 2017, you get one more light. Now, this is a pop album. This is a top 40 pop album for 2017. From the opening song, you got nobody can save me. Um, now this is going to be the trope for the track list for what we get, right? You get the high-pitched chipmunk style sampling. Now, not to be confused with like Through the Wire by Kanye West, that kind of old R&B style of sampling. It's like a high-pitched vocal that's either been done in the studio to use as a textural effect. Um, can get very boring after a lot of listens. Um, where am I? Every, that was everywhere during like 2016 to I want to say even last year. I don't really hear it much in pop music now, but could be wrong. Um, has the chorus before the actual breakdown. It's very common around this time. You've got the better synths. You have the guitar that plays the notes around the root and the major and the minor third. So like the tenth, it's called. Um, if you think about Love Yourself by Justin Bieber, um, that's a good classic pop example. It's just playing stuff like that. You know, all these tropes, all these tropes. Um, the only thing that resembles Lincoln Park is Chester Bennington, those vocals. There's no screaming at all on this whole, this whole album. It's nice, clean singing. Um, and to me, that's the strongest part of this album is his vocals. What I'm really saying out loud, like, is this track. This track uses so many of the pop tropes in the modern era that it completely overshadows what Lincoln Park are and what Lincoln Park should be to their listeners. It's such a direct change. And it's like hot space. When you hear body language and you're like, okay, I don't know what's going on. This sounds like synth drums and synth bass. And then, you know, body language. Okay. Like it, it has a sexual connotation to it, which queen to my mind didn't really have a sexual connotation going through in that regard, like quite upfront, um, which Freddie must've just been experiencing in his own life, going to gay clubs and going into Munich and 
experiencing that. Um, but they weren't really a, what I'd call a sexualized, like a Led Zeppelin kind of style band anyway, lyrically. Um, no. No. I could see it being quite a stretch to accept this new sound as a Linkin Park diehard. It was hard for me to make sense for after listening to The Hunting Party. Like, it's such a huge contrast. Um, to put this on out, put, yeah, to put, this is what you pay for, right? Me to stumble my words. <laughs> to put this album on like I did and be confused as to thinking that you'd put on something different or you put on a remix album would not be too far-fetched. I listened to this when it came out. I was on holiday with an ex somewhere. And I remember going to the shower and just putting on like, it was on YouTube, so I didn't listen to it on Spotify. I didn't have Spotify Premium at that point. And the it was just like, it was weird. It was like uh, all the songs had just been put in a random order by somebody and they just faded into one another. So I know I knew it quite well from a different version of what I'd listened to then like recently. But yeah, so it was like, I was listening to the remix to the remix, whatever it was. But yeah, my brain instantly went to like, why are they doing pop? Like, why are they trying to chase the latest trend? You know, they have a great legacy and it kind of like felt like they were going to stain it. That's what it felt like to me. Um, and it's like, it's like when you see a friend after a few years, right, Mez? And it's like, they're dressing a bit differently. They're acting a bit, a bit differently. They're talking a bit differently, different kind of words. But you can kind of tell that like, maybe they're doing it because someone else is like, they're trying to yeah. impress somebody else. Yeah. And you're just like, well, I've never, ever seen this from you before. And you kind of want to say something. It just feels very, doesn't feel genuine. And this is what this no. album feels like to me. Um, disingenuous. Disingenuous. I was worried about putting that because I didn't know if that was a word. I was going to say ingenuine, but I think that's not a word either. I think both are a word. We'll get on that. Some will, someone will sort that out. Hopefully Walton. Walton, Walton, let us know if those are words, all right? Yeah, Sam, give us a shout, kid. I've got the internet at my disposal, but I just can't be bothered at the minute. You know what I'm saying? Plus, Sam, I trust Sam more than the internet. <laughs> so yeah, again, so this whole you're gonna you're gonna hear this now. Good goodbye. Repeats exactly the same formula. Um, chipmunk sample in the background. The chorus before the drums actually kick in. The synths instead of the guitars, and you get some rapping. Mez, what you gonna say? Push a T and Stormzy. Push a T and Stormzy. Now, two good verses, but I must say about Stormzy's line that makes me cringe every time. Man, dem, we're Lincoln Tings and Parks. Now I got a tune of Lincoln Park. That makes me cringe so uh, much. It's just so good. forced. It doesn't feel like it needs to be like more of a rewrite to it. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on like when a band or an artist like reference? their name in their songs sometimes it can work um i i, I think there's there's one or two things by the way i wasn't <coughs> just looking at my phone i was getting more details on this album um yeah yeah i'll show you if you want just a <laughs> long-legged magnetic the um the context of that for me is two things number one are you cool enough to pull that off Mm-hmm. You have to be cool to pull that off. If you're not, it's gonna go. Uh, number two, it can't be too lame. Like Stormzy's cool. I love Stormzy. That's lame. I'd never say that to his face because, or on a podcast for that matter. So, nah, I'm not fighting Stormzy. <laughs> I'll fight. I'll fight a hundred ch- chod crangers. 
Hawks. But I ain't fighting Storm. Um, he will beat me up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the. Um, I think you've got to be cool enough. And I think the line's got to be, as you said, it's got to be written in a, in a certain way. You can't just off the cuff it. That's going to suck. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm fine with it. I am fine with it. I mean, Biggie used to do it all the time. But it worked. But, Again, yeah, exactly. I, I think the name of your band or the artist has to like work as well. Yeah. I think it just depends on like, I just don't. I just don't know. Like, I can't imagine Ed Sheeran trying to say his name in a song. If I heard that, I think my skin would just crawl off my body. Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah, that just I I wouldn't take to that well. I don't think. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so yeah, moving swiftly on. Moving swiftly on. So again, talking to myself. That is not me talking to myself, even though I love doing that. It is the song Talking to Myself by Linkin Park of One More Light, released May 1917 by 1917. There we go, then that's some years. Um, it sounds like an Avicii song. It was like yeah. Linkin Park listened to Wake Me Up before they wrote this. And they're all the same. So far, all these songs are just indistinguishable. They're all the same. You just got a nice chord progression that's like quite simple. It's played on a synth instead of a guitar. It's got a catchy hook over the top. We do get our first bit of rock guitar, though. It's a very simple lead line. So for anybody, you know, merit, you know, he needs guitar nourishment in some songs sometimes. Not every song, but when he wants to. So again, this is what we're saying about going to a band for a certain thing. Linkin Park, heavy guitars, catchy stuff. So you've got a simple, simple lead line here. So Merritt's going to have to hold on to this and make this last in this song. All right. You've got to stretch it out, right? Battle Symphony. That starts with the chorus and starts with the chipmunk style samples. We're noticing a pattern, of course we are. Um, nice, clean singing. And the instrumental, again, it sounds like you could put this under any singer in 2017, not change the music, it would work. You could put it under Little Mix. You could put it under Jason Derulo. You could put it under Justin Bieber. And, you know more than three other people that I can mention right now. So there you go. Um, it's only until we get to the track Invisible. Now, I like Invisible. It's sung by Mike Shinoda. Um, it gets away from the EDM pop style formula that we've, that we've been hammered in. Now, as opposed to Hot Space, where after track four, I feel like you then get a little bit of the essence of Queen, where it's like, we'll give you some guitar. You know, we'll give you some drums that are real and weave into it into, into that. There's nothing of that. They've almost shut the door. Lincoln Parker shut the door on everything they've done beforehand. I'm not expecting them to do hybrid theory and meteor and all that stuff again. Fair enough. You know, and there was a huge backlash. Like Chester Bennett was very vocal in being like, you know, just I don't care about the old you wanting the old sound like that's done. We're doing this. But it does definitely seems that they've gone right. Let's not bother thinking about what we've done before. We just need to kind of start from the beginning again, which hot space to me wasn't. It wasn't start starting from scratch again. It was going, what's our core? Now let's build up from our core. Does that make sense? Yes. There we go. There we go. Then see, I got some. Sometimes I got some witty stuff to say. Sometimes. 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 Now I got away for a lot of rubbish. Anyway, we get a new age pop rock song. It's kind of like Always by Blink One Eighty Two. 
Um, the drums don't go into halftime like they've been automatically set to for the whole of this album so far. Christ alive. It's incredible breath of fresh air. Uh, if the album started with this song, I feel it would have cushioned the blow slightly more. Um, and it's the same as saying like, if Queen didn't use body language as the first song and maybe did the um, maybe song for Lennon or even under pressure, it definitely would have helped this album more, I think. Um, yeah. But there yeah. You go. And now we get to the lead single, Heavy, which features Ciara. It's the first duet on a Linkin Park song. Um, yeah. I remember it coming out. Do you remember this like being teased and coming out? I remember it coming out, yeah. I also... I had a weird, I've always had a weird relationship with Linkin Park. Mm -hmm. um, I appreciate where they stand. I appreciate how great they were back in the day, you know, but I never got on, got on the Linkin Park ship, which every time I say that, someone in the room goes, oh, like it's an, an, an anomaly, do, yeah. you know? And I mean, around that time, I was heavily, heavily into, into old metal, you know, Metallica, Megadeth, Pantera, Slayer, Iron Maiden, Lamb of God, Killswitch Engage. I was I was enormously into these into these bands, and um, it sort of I don't know. It's just kind of what I was into at the time, and that was that. Um, so basically, I I remember it coming out. I also remember the fact that. I wasn't first, you know? <laughs> yeah, it had no impact on your life at all. And it was it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Uh, it had no impact on my life. And then I vaguely remember it being received not very well. And oh, Linkin Park's done a pop album. And it was almost like a reaffirmation for me. I was just like, okay, yeah, no, I was right. I listened to that. Yeah, it makes sense reality, why I didn't get into them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in reality, you're never right for going on. Oh, I don't want to that. Yeah. But it really did. It. I remember, you know, it was this, you get in the classic phrases of like, you know, this is like the heaviest things we've done or like, you know, in terms of lyrics or in terms of yeah. emotions or mood and things like that. They were kind of trying to hype it up like that, knowing that you yeah. know, it can just be like, it's literally like a loud rock song when it wasn't. And people were just like, oh, nah, I'm not for this. It got really did get a kind of a backlash. Um, yeah which you know we will mention that i don't i can't say it contributed to the passing of chester bennett but there was de he definitely took this very hard um the backlash to yeah. this album um coupled with the death of chris cornell um so we have to bear that in mind and again well, we're not trying to be um is it defamatory is that even a word there's a lot of words i don't know at the minute but we're trying not to you know <laughs> Slag off someone is what I would say in a, in a non-etiquette kind of way. Um, slander. Slander, exactly. And doing Movember and being about men's mental health and well-being and suicide prevention and all these things, you know, certainly don't want to do that. No. But should be noted that just because that was the case and that's how it, things are transpired, it doesn't then mean you go back to this album and go, I'm going to say it's good then just based off of an external yeah. event, you know, it doesn't yeah. necessarily change matters. But when we do get to a song like heavy, when I remember when it coming, when it came out and I was like, that sucks. I listen, remember listening to it and be like, that's not great at all. But you listen to the lyrics first line. I don't like my mind right now. 
it's just straight there and it's very emotionally weighted now we you know we've seen heard and know what we know um so for me that song went up in my books a lot more and then when i actually listened to all of linkin park's discography that was one of the songs where i'm like okay that that can that seems to live in their discography more i could take it away from that because it doesn't really sound like the first handful of tracks where they all just sound like carbon copies of each other there is a little bit more there and the hook is just very catchy it's very very catchy yeah i feel that he feels that too you know what i mean now for mez the old guitar lovers out there we actually get a single lead guitar line again on talking to myself so you know that nourishment's coming in you know, it's coming in there. But then you get Sorry as a song. So, not Sorry. It's called Sorry for Now. <laughs> Came out around that time as well, actually. Sorry yeah, for Now. I think this is the worst offender for the crime of the uh, selling out to the mainstream, if you want to call it that. Um, you know, which I don't think it's selling out to the mainstream. But for the, for the top 40 pop EDM style that everyone was kind of, saying this was trying to rip off. This is the worst offender. Sorry for now. The chipmunk vocal sample texture, you know, it's is loud in the chorus hook and obnoxious. We've got the fast 808 hi-hats. Um, we get a sliver, like, I mean, a sliver of rock guitar in the form of one note. Uh, we even get that hay vocal, which was like really big in like, I don't know, the mid East. Hey. Yeah, like American Idiot uh, album. Um raw katie perry like that was just everywhere that was the chipmunk sample before the chipmunk sample yeah 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 um and unusually we got a chester bennett and rap and a mike schnoder lead vocal which i think i don't think that has actually happened before in a lincoln park uh album at all or a song could be wrong could be wrong but you know what i might do mez we should get uh someone we know from our university days jamie fitzpatrick who leads a lincoln park tribute band maybe we should do a little patreon thing with him and just just discuss that you know discuss and be like yeah like a kind of afterthought of like we've discussed this let's try and get somebody in and i think he'd have a lot of good opinions because he's he's like you with queen i feel like he knows every in and out of that band i feel like he definitely would yeah so like he would. would yeah yeah it's kind of strange my relationship with lincoln park is not really there at all Mm. Um, despite liking, you know, there, I, I, there is a lot of new metal I really do like. Um, I don't know. I just it just never happened, you know. Yeah. It just it just never happened, and it went for the one lack of oh, I don't know. But it was I think, it was. I think you were too young when it I came think out. So as well. I think yeah. when it came out, you were about five or six. I just don't. You just weren't there, and I think really. Yeah. You, you, if you didn't get into Linkin Park on those first two, maybe even the third album at a stretch, so between 2000 and 2007, I, I don't know. I feel like it's hard then to, to jump on that train, maybe. But yeah, you could, could be I, I agree with you. It's kind of, it's kind of strange how it, how it happens. Um, having said that, I mean, yeah, it's that whole, um, arrogant attitude of oh this is too new for me you know this is oh, i can't listen to this this is charting oh no um and like you said i was five or six when when the milestone album came out um so it's kind of it's kind of difficult for me to get into an album when i'm five or six yeah 
don't, there's not a lot of choice involved there. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, mate. Yeah, I think that's probably something to do with it. Plus, I was extremely um, greedy and selfish and very secluded when it came to what I was listening to. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't very interested in going out of my way to find something um, that would nourish me in a separate way to what I was already listening to. Yeah. So that's more than like the reason as to why I never got into Linkin Park because all the hardcore metal guys, by that I mean the gatekeepers, uh, had all gone, oh, it's rubbish. Uh, yeah, rubbish. And I gone, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd listen to it. Yeah, it's rubbish, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, was, I was outside breaking the CDs as well. Yeah, oh, no, he, uh, he oh. said something about Napster. Oh, Lars is rubbish. Let's, let's go CEX and buy these CDs for 50p and then break them. Literally. Uh, no, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Of, kind of where I was at, and it's uh, not the best place to be. Let me tell you. There you go. For everyone who's just listening, uh, instead of video, Mez is getting nice and comfy. He's led down. I can see like a bit of his leg, and I can just see his head. So it's quite funny. It's quite funny as I keep on reading. So half, there you go. Halfway right. What I mean, again, synthesizes the chorus hook, the, the chip bar, just the same stuff over and over. It is like, so they used outside writers for probably the first time ever. Um, yes. Which I would say is frowned upon in rock music, in rock bands. Hugely. But it's definitely prominent. I would say that it's, it's now a presence that's there. And I mm. think that the judgment is more on the listener rather than the industry. Is that, would you agree? Absolutely. Um, but like Lamb of God, they, Lamb of God ain't going to, you know, collaborate with someone who's written. Nah, with Ragged hey, that's, that's kind of, <laughs> I think that's kind of to taste. You know? mm-hmm. um, I will happily, oh, I don't know. Who can I compare this to? I'll happily listen to who would I listen to? to say I'm listening to ABBA. Yeah. All right. Now you know that both of those songs, both of those songs, all two songs that ABBA, ABBA. <laughs> Dancing Queen and Mamma Mia, that's it. That's it. Nothing else they released. The two main songwriters are Benny and Bjorn, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not that invested in ABBA. That's a lie. I love ABBA. But what I'm saying is I haven't invested a huge amount of money into ABBA. Um, so I'd kind of be okay if they were co-writing something, you know? And I mean, you you, you get it more than people realise. You don't get... Mm. See, what people think happens... I'm going to move the camera down a little bit. Go on, get yourself comfortable. That's it. This is a there nice... It's a formal show. There we go. Relaxing with Mez. There we go. Relaxing. No coffee. It'll wake me up. What people think happens is 16 people all sat around the table with pen and notepads going, oh, what about this? All the all the all the unmarried ladies, is that the right? No, 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 no. All the divorced ladies. And then someone in the corner room goes single and they go, all the single ladies, there it is. Now, yeah, I'm sure there are quite a few places in which that does happen. Nine times out of ten, a lot of writing credits, I would imagine, come from people going, why don't you try that chord? And because they want to stay, you know, in terms of like not being taken to court and sued, they've given someone credit. Yeah. 
Ralph and the songwriting. And I mean, rock is very rebellious. It's a very screw you sort of thing, isn't it? So therefore, the, it's, it's, it's the genre itself and people within the genre are not going to conform to what other artists and other genres do, are they? They're going to say, no, we're not doing that. So I think that's the reason why it will never be accepted. However, I also think that it doesn't really matter. To be honest, this song exists and I like it. The argument I always loved was um, where it was like, um, girls run the world. What size? Beyonce, two girls. Uh, yeah, yeah, run the world. Who run, run the world? The world? Yeah, right. There was that lyric, and underneath it was like, 10 writers, six producers. And then there was Bohemian Rhapsody next to it with that lyrics with one writer, one producer. Well, why have you, why? That's like, to my mind, that's like going Mini Cooper, 1969, top speed, 63. Lamborghini, blah, 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 blah. Top speed, 210. Mm -hmm. Ugh, rubbish, rubbish. You know and it's like, I mean? this. it's the same argument as like, the Beatles never had to use auto-tune and computers and that. And it's like, A, <sighs> it wasn't even around then. B, I think bullshit, because if they were in this era now, do you not think they would? Like, do you not, or not even like, the Beatles, but like, do you not think pop bands from the 60s or 70s, if they were now today, they wouldn't yeah. use that? Like, this is the norm now for a lot of people. And it's just, you, how exactly. far do you how far do you go back? How far do you go exactly. back? Oh, oh, the Beatles are using stereo. Oh, oh, you know. Mozart never used stereo. It's like, oh, just shut up, Granny. Oh, but Mo Mozart wrote his music on paper with a quill. Oh, disgusting. Don't Cave think, oh. Cavemen grunting never used to do that. It was all spontaneous. Sellouts. Bleeding sellouts. sellouts. Oh, caveman used to sing. Well, Plankton don't sing, do they? There you go, Bloody see. Stella. And then, then you've oh, run out of you've run out of places to go. It's only plankton exactly. amoeba. So there you go. But, yeah, Anyways. but that's the point, isn't it? It's just that classic. Is, that is the classic. point. Classic people basically not allowing anybody else to enjoy something. There oh, you, you like the Beatles? Oh, they're really popular. Yeah, there's a reason for it, you dumb skull. Well, speaking of the Beatles and speaking of Hey Jude, here we the go. Old, the old outro section with. Nah, 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 all that stuff, right? Halfway what? right, it goes, nah, 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 nah. No, I can't remember it once. Time. No, 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 That bit, yeah. That bit, yeah, that bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. So halfway right does the same thing, um, where it has a little bridge section, and he's just doing nah, nah, nahs over the top. Now, Mez, what's your opinion on that kind of technique of being like, okay, I'm, I could write lyrics here. I'm just going to go la, 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 or na, 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 or ooh, 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 or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, do you think it's lazy, or do you think there's a reason behind it? I'm going to answer your question with a question. Oh, lovely. Does it serve the song? Oh. Well, I would say it does serve the song. It's a nice welcome break. My interpretation would be, when you're a big band and you play these big places in other countries and you want something that kind of unifies everybody that everyone can sing and feels included a na or a la or a ooh is easier than going okay the lyrics are 
juxtaposed against the societal norms of our degradation. Let's go, Slovenia. And everyone's just like, no, no, no idea. Does that make Queen super lazy for writing We Will Rock You? How many writers? <laughs> there you go, see? How far do you go back? What the plankton do, yeah? Oh, That's the, that should be it. What would, what would a plankton do? That is going to be our new shirt, probably. And most people are going, Spongebob doing this. Wow, he's great, isn't he? He's got songs. He is great. So we get, to the, uh, ti- we get to the title track. I'm just going to cut you up. I'm going to keep going. Carry on, kid. Carry he loves on. that. One more light, the title track. First time, I think, on a Linkin Park album as well, that there's a title track. Now, this song is obviously impossible to hear without thinking about Chester Bennett's passing. It is definitely the most emotionally loaded song on the album. And I think it's because the music and the lyrics actually match up for the first time here on this album. I think the music and the lyrics do not match up at all throughout this whole album, maybe apart from Invisible. What do you think, Mez? I think that you're going to need to repeat that because you said One More Night, and I was like, Phil Collins to a song. <laughs> one More Light. I think One More Light's music and lyrics match up, which means that you can actually connect to an emotion there. Whereas everything else, it seems like, because I think the lyrics uh, were definitely recorded first and the chord progressions came afterwards when they were writing these songs. I feel like the lyrics and the music do not match up at all. Invisible, quite possibly, but I don't think they match up at all, which means that's why I feel a disconnect to these songs. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to set up my, there we go. You have to move the camera again. There we go. He's it's, like, it's like you, it's like I've taken the baton off you. you know what I mean, yes. like, the axe. I'm taking the axe. Go there, on, have there we go. Um, one thing I'm going to mention, but one more light. The song. Uh, the lyrics are, to me, they are akin to. Um, Some of the lyrics that um, come on, Mez, you got this kid. Some of the lyrics that are a kid. He's been like Chris Cornell's solo stuff. Yes. It's like, oh, yeah. Looking at this now, unfortunately, gives you, as as we were, as I say quite a lot, hindsight is twenty twenty. It makes you look at it and go. Yeah, that, that dude was in some pain. Um, should have stayed where their signs I ignored. Straight off the bat. Yeah. Um, and it was, I, I, like I said, I get that. I, Chris Cornell, I wouldn't say lyrically they're similar in terms of actual substance. Um, how would you describe it in comparison, actually? I know you'll ask me a question, but I'm actually interested about this now. Well, I think actually, I disagree with your point. I think their lyrics are, you know, they deal with a lot of personal and inner turmoil and how they live in their world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe Chris Cornell doesn't go that political um, yeah. from what I can think of. Again, maybe an audio slave he did, but I, I, I got a blank spot with blank spot. Blank, blank spot, spot with audio slave. Yeah. But I yeah. definitely think there's close parallels to like, I mean, look, again, look at One More Light. Look at uh, When I'm Down. 
hypocritical now. Like, I think there are big similarities there. They both felt a lot through their lyrics. Yeah, and it's I'd, I'd say Chris was artier in a way. You know, he's he's uh, he's more metaphoric. More, of, I'd say, more of like a critical darling. In yeah, that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort, of, that sort of deal. Um, yeah, lyrics and music. I mean, it, that that's one of the class. Is that what you're saying? It's it's basically like a, a juxtaposition of the lyrics are quite like oof, and music's quite like like happy. So for and, so f- like, look at heavy, right? So let's compare yeah. heavy and one more light. One more light yeah. is somber. And the guitar it's is really, nice and soft and yeah. it sounds warm and it really matches the emotional depth of what the lyrics are trying to convey to you. If you look at heavy, you've basically just got an EDM song that could be Skrillex or Dead Mouse. The lyrics are heavy. Like it sounds like a, a little cliche, but like they really feel with the heavy. They're vague enough, but they they got a, they got a heaviness to them that are dealing yeah. with something, like dealing with his inner turmoil, but the music Absolutely. is just like you could take the lyrics away from that and put something really generic there. Yeah. Yeah. You could. Yeah. 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 Whereas one more light, even if you took the lyrics away, you'd yeah. still have to write something that's like meaningful and has that emotional weight. Does that make a bit more sense? Absolutely. Mate. It's not so much that you're not making sense. It's that I'm an Indian. Well, um, didn't want to but say no, you're, so. you're, you're right. One more, not one more night. <laughs> one more. <laughs> light. Got Phil Collins on the yeah. break. Um, one more light, light, not night, light, light. Um, it's way more evocative, way more, um, way more what you'd, uh, I, in a grim way, it's way more what you'd expect lyric wise from Chester Bennington at this time. Mm-hmm. It's, um, they like say, they, they both say something, but this one I feel is more personal, it's more, um, more sort of uh, saying what he means. Who cares if one more light goes out? Um, well, I do, you know, and it's, 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 yeah, it's deeper, deeper than heavy. You know what I mean? That, that looking at, looking at one more light's lyrics it is, is more on the Chris Cornell side of things, as opposed to this could be about absolutely anything, but it is about this, but also yeah. you could, like you said, take lyrics away and make it about some else. But yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It was a very roundabout way of saying I agree, but it's there. Hey, but we love to wear it, you know what I mean? For your viewing pleasure. Exactly. Uh, We end on sharp edges. So, again, this just sounds like Wake Me Up by Avicii, even more so because the acoustic guitar is a very disappointing end to your kind of traditional Linkin Park fan who is probably now my age, 30s mid-30s and being like oh this is not what music should be like back at oh they've ruined themselves you got to stay the same i know people in Cambridge <coughs> that still wear slipknot hoodies that you bought down the market and only listen to the jukebox which is on at the pub that they all go to and drink the same beer and cutting your hair is a no-no and you have to do this and have to do that and have to get tattoos and all these things it's like just you're living in nostalgia it's just like a big bubble and you're just missing out on so much stuff so much stuff yeah 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 of course that's that's exactly my point it's the only person you're starving is yourself that's it exactly no one like do do these people think that whatever artists they're wearing on their chest is going to come down and be like 
they're going to be like, oh, I don't, I don't listen to anything but you. Oh, I, everyone's met. Do you think they're going to be like, oh, well done? They're going to go, thank you. You have the key to the kingdom. Like, you know what I mean? Like- exactly. Yeah, no, this is the point. It's, what, what is the point? Um, the artists you enjoy, no matter who they are, listen to different stuff. You can guarantee that. And it's kind of the point, isn't it? <laughs> you just, like I said, you're just limiting yourself. And if you're wearing your Lincoln Park hoodie and then they drop one more light, what are you going to do? Suddenly go, you've already told your mates, like, I'm never taking this off. They're the best band in the world. You get one more light, which is a very, very pop. And this is against your maybe foundational musical, uh, you know, fandom. And then you kind of go, I want to take the hoodie off now. Or do you yep. double down and go, you know, this doesn't exist. I'll blank this from memory. So I'll, bur- I'll burn this. and I'll, I'll burn it and snap it. Yeah. Um, one more light is even more of a shocking contrast. This is the album now. That was all the songs kind of discussed when you listen to the album that came before at the hunting party. Now it's adventurous from the get go. It's full of energy. It has interesting chord progressions, like not even like drastically different, but like, you know, just a dominant bluesy seventh chord in one place instead of just a normal kind of what chord would be in the scale. Um, yeah. It's got time signature changes, it's got rapping by Mike Schneider, which just feels lively. The emotion in Benetton's voice just seems to cut through more. I don't know whether that's because of the screaming or the shouting, which I'm just used to hearing him um, do, but I just love it. I could hear that all day. Um, and even though it's 10 minutes longer, it breezes by quicker. Yeah. Um, which just goes to show me something that at least tells me something in my brain of like, this is better because every when you're having a good time, time goes fast. More importantly, it feels like an album. One More Light to Me feels like a bunch of singles that people have sat down. They've gone, right, let's just write a batch of songs very similar. And instead of just picking one or two, they've kind of done like 10. Yeah. They could all live on playlists. It's a very playlisty album that, you know, especially in this day and age where albums of either artists are encouraged maybe not to do albums. Um, as much or you release some of your album as a small EP than the other half like John Mayer did that with Sob Rock and um, Search for Everything or just do a single every 21 days you know for like lo-fi or something like that like just don't do albums no one listens to it anymore it just just, people haven't got the time for it Um, yeah which I've already said that there we go see I'm looking at it Um, they compose the hunting party in the studio they improvise parts on the fly you know, your favorite guitar player, um, Brad Delson, you know, had to really warm up to do some solos and felt like every song needed a solo. Um, you can carry on if you like. You can you can add in some stuff about him or we can just kind of breeze on because I know you're not that fond about him. But... Right. So my issue with him stems. Here we go. <sighs> He's a good musician. Um, Definitely so. I would not say that there's anything notable about him as such in terms of if I heard a song on the radio and he was featuring in it, I wouldn't go, that's him. Yeah. Um, But on reflection, I think the fact that to my mind, there's nothing hugely remarkable about it makes him remarkable um, because that means if, if all I've heard is just standard guitar lines, it means he's doing his job. 
Yes. Um, and I've kind of changed my opinion on it. That opinion came from uh, another friend listening to Linkin Park, and my attitude was, well, I'm not hearing any sweeping, so what's going on here? Um, and I kind of thought about it, and I was kind of like, well, maybe someone thinks that about me. Maybe someone thinks it's not hugely remarkable about my player. You know, how would I feel about that? And he's not the best guitarist in the world, certainly not, but neither am I. So my opinion is now that he deserves to be where he is because of what he's done. And yeah, he's not a bad musician at all. He's a great musician. And he he he's good at what he he's good at what he was on the job to do. There you go. use them well well we're back now my internet connection says it's unstable but we're back so yeah i didn't hear any of that last sentence and you know what i don't want to you leave it the chance but basically merit is merit is happy about brad delson's uh part in lincoln park i don't blame you so what I they they were setting out to make a loud rock record as well um, that no one was making at that time, 2014. But when you listen to Keys to the Kingdom, which is the first track of the Hunting Party, and then you listen to Heavy, it's like drinking coffee after ice cream. It is so so different. But what I want to know is actually, Mez, is that actually nice? A hot drink with a cold food, rather than having like you know a hot meal with a glass of Coke, is the other way around. I mean, would you have is coffee after ice cream nice? They do that at restaurants, don't they? I'd give it a go. So there you go. Always, always give it a go. There's the answer to the question. So figure that one out. Yeah, you're left scratching your head, kind of wondering like how these songs would work together live. Um, while they had the luxury of reworking like um crawling, which is like a signature classic song of those of theirs, into their live set. It's more piano led and it worked. It worked. Um, it would seem rather disingenuous, that's the word, to have to rework any of the songs from the hunting party into this kind of new pop aesthetic going forward. You're either just going to drop that album entirely because it doesn't work with the sound you've got now and wait until, I don't know, a couple more albums in when you've gone back to rock um, or you just popify or the hunting party. But then it puts into question why even make the hunting party in the first place? Why make a hard rock metal album if you're just going to change the songs in the future? Um, because, you know, you do have to think about that. Sometimes when you're when you're making an album, you don't really think about like, well, how, what we're going to do about the live stuff. That's like an afterthought. And things do change. You know, you do get very... Sometimes you get live versions of songs better than the album version. And that's what you love yeah. going forward. Yeah, yeah I can't help them. That's a long, long list of negatives. So, you know, like we said, to just poop on an album and call it hot shit... Or one more shite. There we go. Connected the two. Oh, there. That's another parallel. Um, it's not exactly what we're trying to do here. Let's have a bit more mature analyzing to it. Let's stick up for this. If we were to look back at Linkin Park's discography, focus on the core progressions and the structure of their songs, nothing has changed. They use verse, chorus, verse, bridge, chorus. Um, their chord progressions are very, very pop even from hybrid theory crawling is a great example. So nothing has changed there. All they're really doing is they've just removed the loud guitars, 
remove the loud screaming, and they just put in synthesizers and clean singing. Now, I know, ornamentation, which is like the instruments that you use to make up a song or the decoration, obviously it plays a big part. It plays a huge part. Um, but I know one of the criticisms that I would have if I was thinking about pop music was, well, it's just simple chord progressions. That's all that is. And the, the, the structure is a pop structure. But look at Enter Sandman. Intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, like solo, chorus. And the chords, pretty, pretty standard. You know, the Unforgiven, like you can go through a lot of bands, Slipknot, at some point they're playing what you would dub as pop chord progressions and pop structures which means by that effect they've gone pop um unless you're going to do the most atonal music in the world but even then that will have a structure um you can just go forever and ever so basically you just got to be a plankton or an amoeba um they've always been a band that stayed relevant by changing their sound or altering their sound you only need to look at like i said crawling uh, from the one more light tour um pushes me away as well pushing me away the, the same thing um i think a bigger crime if you want to call it that would be if they were still trying to play new metal now now it during the pandemic yes. mike shinoda had a twitch channel and he would upload it to youtube um so he would do like a song a day or something like that some some like weeks he'd do songs some weeks he'd do drawing then he was playing animal crossing which for some reason was just fantastic but someone had said can you do um hybrid theory and meteor meteor style Lincoln Park. Could you make that? And the efficiency of how quickly he made this song, it was just like, yeah, cool. So okay, got my guitar, blah, 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 like play the riff. Cool. I'll loop that. Okay, I'll do a second guitar. Cool. That's the verse. That's the chorus. Like the man is so talented in that regard. He's just so good at picking up things. And he just made it so easy. But you could see that like he and he said as well, it's like this music isn't that exciting for me to make. I can just make it very, very quickly, but it doesn't really touch me. It doesn't resonate, you know, and it's something in the past. So again, he can make 10 albums of that stuff. It would please all the earlier fans because they go, finally, they're, they're back to form. That's the Linkin Park I love, which is only their version of Linkin Park. But he would, you know, all the band would be incredibly bored and it'd be incredibly outdated. So, you know, Here's another question for Mez. Only one more after this one. How much do you think a band or an artist should cater to their fans? Do you think it's a matter of both parties trying to meet in the middle, essentially? Yes. I, I, I think there's a, there's a level of expectance. Mm -hmm. But also that's why you support the bands you like. Because you, um, you've got enough experience with listening to them <laughs> over a period of time. Excuse me to know that what they'll produce is something you'll enjoy. Yeah, like that, nice and concise, nice and concise. Mm. So you know, like we like we said about the hand of looking at instead of looking at a band's discography, maybe album by album, and going like, well, I'd stop there, or discounting the actual timeline that's elapsed of life and ever other things around it, and going like, well, this is their pop album, so don't listen to that. That's crap. You know, don't listen to blah, 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 all this stuff like with the Queen stuff, right? Okay, Linkin Park made a full-on pop album. Like, why not? Why not? All they've done is you know they've just they've just they've always had a pop sensibility. They've just they're just showing it in this more like exposed state. They've just turned everything down. 
Um, yeah. If you want a loud, heavy Lincoln Park that is of sub that is of substance and means something, then you've got about four albums worth of material there, and you know they're not just raking it in for the dollar like some other legacy bands, you know, can do, and you're allowed to if you want to. Um. So yeah, the question really would be like, why not, Mez? They make a full-on pop album. Why not? Why? Why not? That, that's that's literally it. Yeah, I don't think even even. I think that's just why what not? I think about exactly. So, it also made me think if they started with one more light and then ended with hybrid theory. So, bands that start poorly or either don't start in the genre that they originally get to. So, Pantera is a great example, going from glam metal to then inventing groove yeah. metal another episode entirely but we're gonna get there don't you worry so like yeah. that's pretty much all i've got for for one more light i would say that it is definitely their weakest work i think it's definitely their weakest work um not just because of the genre but the how it's executed i think you can get mm. that if you're a fan of pop music you can get that better elsewhere um yeah than, uh, there are a few good songs on this. One more like to me, I think is beautiful. I really do like Invisible. Um, and I do like Heavy. I didn't like it so much when it came up, but it's grown on me now. Definitely I was of that ilk, you know, when Chester Bennett passed away, it definitely grew on me more emotionally. Um, and I like the sound of it. I think it's the best out of those EDM style sounds, but you listen to the hunting part and you're like, oh my God, it's like a revitalized, energized band. And they were really gunning for it. So much so the drummer broke his back during the recording. That was how much he went for it. It was so technically demanding for him. Um, like huge 10 hour day sessions. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'd like to hear Jamie's, you know, take on that. Um, I would as well, yeah. It'd be very interesting to see because like, when he's performing stuff live, does he only just do one more light? Do they try and do the EDM style? Do they ever get requests for that? Because again, there are versions of Linkin Park fans or versions of fans of Queen and anybody that are completely different to what you would like. Mm. You know, I want yeah. this. I want this in Linkin Park and I want this and this and this. And some like, I don't like that. I want one more light album. I think that's great. I really wish they did more of that. Um, yeah, which is the beauty of liking certain bands only for a certain style sometimes, and also it opens you up to going, "Hang on, what's uh, what's Sheer Art Attack album? I've never heard that before." And you get your mind blown. You know exactly, I mean? that's kind of the point. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird juxtaposition of being narrow-minded but then open, not just to like a genre, but like just to a whole band. And I think, it, yeah, I love I <clears throat> again as much as I love ACDC. Um, and they've just done the same sound. I definitely like bands that have so many different eras and sounds and genres yeah. and styles because sometimes I only want to listen to one style of their music or go around and around and around. There's one facet. One facet. That's a very good one. So in conclusion, like I've just said, and I'm going for it anyway, um, it comes down to the perception of the albums to the listener. Like I said, do you take, how do you, you know, question for everybody, like how do you view a band's life work is it per is it album by album is it is it decade by decade is it members by members or is it like a time in your life with uh, do you view it with other albums of that year you know it's just it's just interesting it's, it's definitely made me question like 
okay, I just look, I look linearly and maybe discount the chronology of a band's albums and really yeah. I should be thinking like what was around that time and what other what were other bands doing and oh wow those songs are very similar or they're taking you can definitely hear they've they've heard this from the uh, you know like in the consciousness in the last year and both of those albums have these sounds on things like that you know um, yeah yeah I think to sum up you know to end this bloody wonderful episode the healthy way to look at this would just be is this is what the band are doing at this time. The latest album does not define them. It is not up to the band to decide what songs or albums define them in the public view. Again, you can't decide what, how, if a song's going to be a number one smash hit and all these things. Um, there obviously are like business factors or like sneaky music industry factors, but that is just the album they have out at the time. Don't hedge all your bets or go like, Oh, they're they're rubbish now. Or oh, this is the best thing they've ever done. Like it's just the album that's out of the time. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And in Mez's case, you know, with Iron Maiden having their new album out, which is called what? Sorry. Senjutsu. You know, you're you're lukewarm to it. You're not, you don't hate it, but you're like, you know, I you probably think Book of Souls is maybe a bit better than that, even though you were you were kind of back and forth on that too. And you have yeah. reasonable expectations of Iron Maiden at this point versus other people that you might know that are like, best band in the bloody world, nothing bloody better than them, Steve Irish, them fingers and all that stuff. But you're not going like, okay, they really suck now. Oh my God, I can't believe this album hasn't lived up to, you know, the first two albums or the first four albums or the or the other album. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I do know what you're saying. I like this. It's just straight out. There's no, there's no. You've you've talked. You, you've you've reached your talk limit, haven't you? Not so much. That. I just that's all I've got to say on the matter. Thank you. That's all he's got to say on the matter. Love that, and I love to see that as quick, as efficient. So, yes, uh, two very good albums that I would, you know, in this this episode, I would encourage you to go listen to them. It's very interesting for both of those, and then you know. It'd be nice to see what Linkin Park are going to do now after this. They're still active, but it's very much remains to be seen what's actually going to go on. But yes, please go check them out. They're big, huge bands. Um, and thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Thanks to everyone who you know likes us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And actually, you know, to Dom and Sophie as well for listening to episodes while they drove all the way down to Cornwall. They loved yeah. it. They bloody right. loved it, Mez. They loved it. Bloody lovely. I love to hear that. <laughs> and uh we're gonna do next episode is gonna be because it's emo this is a suggestion from the person i did forget henry wheeler patreon um now i'm not a huge emo fan myself at the minute but we're gonna go listen to emos all them things and we're gonna have a nice juicy episode for you there um yes my november donate page will be down below and 26th of november if you donate 25 pound or more Gillette will donate £25. They'll match it as well. So it all goes to a good cause. And especially what we've talked about in regards to Chester Bennett and, and One More Light, you know, look after your friends, check up on them, say hey. Absolutely. Men or women or anybody who, just humans, you know, life forms in general, just check up, say hey, say how you're doing. A cup of coffee in your cup of coffee with Mez Mug goes a long way. You know what I mean? Um, and just 
make sure you tell everyone that you you love that you love them and you like them and that i don't know buy them an axe a plastic axe with some skulls on it you know what i'm saying yes sir that's it then see you later cheers and guys